not going down just because of something some stupid adults are doing. Mobile suits. Monday, Monday. Camille's a man's name, and I'm a man! Uh, no carrots, please. Mobile suit? Roger that. Mobile suit. Mobile suit. Change. Although all enemies were defeated, Earth did not change one bit! The commander? <laughs> He's lost it! <laughs> every other day, every other day, every other day of the week is fine! You're a soldier here, aren't you? If you want to be more than just a grunt, you better learn to see the whole picture. Uh, yes, yes, sir. I'm the enemy, you idiot. Miss Matilda! Hey guys, welcome back to another mongerific episode of Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight is one of my fellow Mobile Suit Gundam enthusiasts. Why don't you give a shout out, buddy, and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey everyone, it's Mike, and you can't see me, but I'm wearing an eye patch for this episode. Yeah. All right, do you have a scar too? Yes, of course. Awesome. And a sc- awesome. I, I put a painted a big skull on my shirt and my forehead. I'm sure your mobile suit has the appropriate cape and cloak attached yes, to it. As well. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if the listeners haven't figured out from all our subtly layered hints, we are actually going to discuss this evening something that we've been promising for like the last twenty eight episodes <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, the the original intent was that we would talk about the film Gundam F91, and then we wanted to get into talking about this manga, which is Mobile Suit Gundam Crossbone Manga. And this is something I needed to ask you, too, because I wrote this down on my notes, but it's interesting, like, on the cover of some of these, like, basically what we're reading is the Xeonic Scanlation from Xeonic Corpse, so they are kind enough to take on the task of translating this manga so we could actually, you know, us English speakers who, who do not speak Japanese can read and understand and appreciate the story ourselves. So that's great for us. There are uh, six volumes in total, and so we're reading all those and discussing them tonight. But on the cover of the manga, it seems to indicate that, you know, Tomino, you know, Yoshiyuki Tomino is the author, and then they describe Yuchi Hasegawa as, like, the the manga I guess, you know, he, he's credited with the manga. But it, it's weird, because on, like, the Gundam wiki, it seems like they kind of point to Hasegawa as, like, the story and script and character design guy. So I'm kind of wondering, like, is, do they just credit Tomino because he created Gundam? Or is there, like, some kind of... Do you know if there's any kind of novel or anything that they sort of... Because it seems to have, like, a lot of this, you know, I guess we'll we'll come to talk about it as we go into it, but it certainly seems to have a lot of the similar 
tropes of of what we would come to expect from various Gundam series and even some of the Gundam series that we've already covered on Mobile Suit Mondays. I'm not actually certain. I mean, I'm sure Tamino like came up with the original concept, maybe, or or at least. You know, he obviously had a plan to do more like F-91, but, you know, that never materialized right, like, after right. the movie. So I'd, I'd assume he came up with the original concept and stuff. And, you know, maybe he did, like, write some kind of story outline. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd imagine that, uh, yeah, that the other guy probably wrote and drew most of this. And I don't know. That, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I did not think about what you just mentioned, that, that F-91 was thought of, you know, it was intended as an ongoing series, so it's entirely possible that the author, you know, the the manga creator maybe had access to some of those plot points, and maybe some of those were from Tomino, and he, you know, folded those into the manga, maybe, so... I don't. It's, yeah, it, I, it's funny because it, it like Japanese like manga like authors are all like so humble usually. So it's kind of like I, I read like the commentary at the end of like the origin hardcovers, and like the dude who like wrote like the origin is is like you know he he's just like you know Tamino Sensei wrote this and Tamino Sensei wrote that, and I'm kind of like wait a minute dude didn't you I mean you're you're obviously just you know retelling the sto- the original story but didn't you write this book basically like you know it, it's it's kind of weird like sometimes yeah yeah I I guess I can see that too where you're you know they're they're profusely sort of apologetic for telling or retelling a story or something like that like but i mean this is this is definitely not a retelling of of the story this crossbone manga i i thought what i'd do is just just to sort of break the ice like we're not really going to go into this blow by blow it is six volumes we're going to kind of treat this as we do like most of our, our comic type reviews and everything but what i thought i'd do to get everybody on board i mean if you want to read it for yourself like i said you can go check out the Zionic core scanlation and you know and then stop this and come back and and kind of re-up and join with us and everything but basically like i'll I'll read kind of the the high level synopsis of what this is about and then we'll you know we'll just go into some of our thoughts on each of the volumes like i know i have a whole bunch of notes that i wrote down and everything like that and i'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about but basically the high level synopsis is After the Cosmo-Babylonian Wars, Cosmo-Babylonia collapses from civil conflicts after Cecily Fairchild denounces the nation's aristocratic ideals. However, new threats to peace begin to surface in the universal century, when it is discovered the Jupiter Empire is conspiring to invade and conquer the Earth sphere. After staging her death to avoid attention from the Jupiter Empire, Cecily takes on her original name of Bera Rona, and re-establishes the Crossbone Vanguard, garnering public support in her war against the ruthless Jupiter Empire. The remnants of the Crossbone Vanguard wage a secret war against Jupiter Empire, which seeks to subject all humanity to the same totalitarian rule as the Jupiter fleet's own people. This control is based on chronic resource scarcity, and the story develops into something of a critique of the space colonization concept, abandoning nature's abundance in favor of a cold, cruel existence in the inhospitable realm of outer space. Crossbone Gundam also advances a conspiracy theory to explain post-universal century 0100 history. The Jupiter Empire, with its great wealth, 
provides funding and technology to anti-Federation groups in an attempt to hasten the government's collapse. They originally supported the Crossbone Vanguard, then turned on them after Barra Rona took charge and renounced their aggressive ways. So that's just kind of a brief, high-level synopsis of what Crossbone Gundam manga is all about, and that was kind of ripped from the pages of the Gundam Wiki. So I just kind of wanted to give people a high-level overview of sort of what it's about before we get into all the specifics and everything. But, I mean, this is basically a sequel to Gundam F91. It is set in UC-133, which is basically... 10 years after the events of Mobile Suit Gundam F91. So if you remember way back in the first episode of Mobile Suit Mondays, we talked about Seabook Arno and that whole crew, Cecily Fairchild. So you, you've already heard in the high-level synopsis that some of those characters obviously show up in this manga. So it is something of a direct sequel, even though it's set 10 years later. I mean, you know, I, I guess basically we, we can talk about Volume 1. Volume 1 introduces basically the the Crossbone Vanguard are back again. And, you know, we're, we're introduced to basically what the, the, the characters who are usually assaulted by the pirates, the Crossbone Vanguard, as, you know, look, it's the Pirates Gundam. And, of course, this is the, the titular Gundam of the piece. It's the MX-1 Crossbone Gundam X-1. So usually we'll just refer to it as the Crossbone Gundam or the X-1 or, you know, whatever, whatever lazy way I decide to <laughs> refer to it as. But I mean, I mean, essentially, like, like, think of it this way, like the, the, in, in the film Gundam F-91, like that was an F-91 mobile suit Gundam. Now, the Crossbone Gundam, from my understanding, is basically like an F-97 model. So that kind of gives you the scope of, you know, basically, yeah, it's 10 years later. It's a much later model. So obviously there are cooler, more awesome things about it. I'm not much of a mobile suit guy. I mean, I can appreciate things that are cool when they come into the story and everything. But, I mean, as far as, like, we, we've discussed this before. Like, I don't always focus on all the, the mobile suit kind of stuff. Like, do you want to talk about the Crossbone Gundam, because I know it's it's like this... this I, I think I knew about the Crossbone Gundam before I ever read this manga. Like, maybe it was in, in those new type magazines or the 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 kind of Bibles to Gundam that they released and everything. So and, and I just got the vibe. Like, it has this, like, Boba Fett aura surrounding it because everybody's like, oh, yeah, Crossbone Gundam, it's awesome. I mean, I guess, you know, what's not to like? It's a Gundam with a big pirate symbol on it. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's obviously it's pretty awesome, but do, do you want to say anything about the Crossbone Gundam, just, the, you know, the mobile suit in general, like like what your thoughts on it were? Like, did, did you know what it was before you sort of heard of, read this this manga? Well, like, I, I, I knew what it was, but I didn't know, like, what it was from, and I, I didn't even know, like, Crossbone Gundam was connected to, like, F91 for a long time, like... Okay, okay. Like, I, I hadn't seen F91, like, until we watched it, like, for the first episode of Mobile Suit Monday, so, like, I guess I wasn't very interested, like, I wouldn't be interested in, like, anything connected to it, and I knew the Crossbone Gundam existed, but I, I didn't know, like, it, it was actually, you know, I, I didn't know it was, like, say, Seabook, like, at the helm of that thing. And, you know, we'll get into it, obviously, but he's got a kind of Quattro Bagina thing going on yeah. there. I mean, I like I think it looks pretty awesome. 
there's two like elements of it that I really like. Obviously, like I like the cloak on it, like the anti-beam cloak. Like I always think it's cool when robots like wear cloaks. Like I like it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like something that would make sense, but it just like looks cool. And I also like how they all like when when they need to like vent like extra power or something like their masks like shift open and they've got a kind of like I don't know a mouth almost. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of it looks kind of like scary and like jagged, like with jagged teeth or whatever. So I really like that element of it. And yeah, it just it just has a ton of like unexpected weapons, like in in different places. Like it has like knives that come out of the bottom of its feet. It, you know, it's got grappling hooks, and I don't know. It seems like they like threw everything in the kitchen sink onto this thing. Yeah, I guess I guess there is that element to it where uh, you know not only is it probably a fan favorite mobile suit, but there is a degree of of fan fictionness to it where it's like this Gundam is awesome. It can do everything. You know, like that that kind of aspect to it. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where you you get the vibe that even though they have beam shield technology, like, it, you know, basically that beam shield takes up a lot of energy, but they go into great detail describing how the cloak basically does not do that. You know, it's basically like pe- most people have no idea that it is a shield from, from beam technology. They just think it's some kind of ornamental thing to make the, the suit look spooky or, you know, aesthetic or, or what what have you. But in reality, it's... It's actually, it, you know, it, it conserves energy and serves the purpose of of shielding him from any kind of beam weapons fire. So in that respect, you're like, oh yeah, this is pretty, you know, this and is like, pretty yeah, sweet. Like Seabook had, or I should say, what's his name, Kinkado, says at one point, like it can take like five beam shots before it dissolves. So like, yeah, I think he said he tells like Tobia at one point, you know, like so don't get hit like too often or whatever, <laughs> but. Yeah, it's not it's not like a failsafe. It's not like Captain America's shield where the cloak is going to protect them forever, but but it can take a few hits for you when you're in the middle of the battle and sometimes that can that can make all the difference. So since since you already brought him up, we should talk about Tobia Anorax, who is basically the new young protagonist that we're introduced to. And I mean when when the when the manga starts, I mean basically in this first volume we're introduced to him as an exchange student and he's going to be sent over to Jupiter to hang out with the Jovians and everything. And that's I mean he is basically for all intents and purposes the the main character and everything. And and I mean, you know, my note for it is it it's kind of hilarious because of course shenanigans entail. He's not going to remain a student forever and everything. And you know, basically, at some point, he just decides, like, oh, you know what? You know, the, the, I, I quoted it because I'm like, oh, this is such the typical Gundam. Like, he's like, hold on there, sir. I can fight. I've got a license for manufacturing mobile suits. You know, so it's <laughs> this kind of, you know, this traditional trope of Gundam where, you know, some chaos ensues and usually a young teenage protagonist is thrust into being a pilot. And in this case, I mean, they don't even try to hide the issue. He's just like, no, I'm getting into that suit, and I'm going to pilot it now, and that's basically just how it's going to be. I I guess another thing we should talk about is, you know, in the middle of that chaos and everything, there is uh, another black F-97, 
which is basically the MX2 Crossbone Gundam X2. So if the X1 is super badass and highly regarded, this is like the even more badass, you know, it's got more <laughs> badassery because it's all black and it's like super cool and everything like that. So they've got that mobile suit as well. So the pirates basically have two crossbone Gundams. And basically, in this sense, like, it, it's interesting because they they start out at odds, you know? Like, in, in this first volume, Tobia is basically fighting against the character who y- you, you may or may not realize at the time might be familiar to you because we, we've already talked about this, you know, kind of got in the, out of the way. But it, it, I don't know that it's so much a secret. It's, it, it is very much like the what you described as it, it's the trope. You know, it's the Zeta Gundam trope of the Quattro Vagina, and everybody knows that Quattro Vagina is Char Asnoble, just like, you know, everybody knows Kinkato is Sea Book Arno. You know, I mean it's not like it's not like they go to great lengths to hide it from <laughs> It's from like he, he wears a paper bag over his head wherever he goes or something. No, it's like it's like that scene in like the tick comics where they're making fun of Superman and Clark Kent and his glasses fall off and then he does the thing where he, he makes the glasses with his hands and turns his hands backwards and he's <laughs> like, Don't look, don't look at my face you know, like I mean that <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like, where it's like, look, you know, and and then, of course, you know, speaking of tropes, like, we we have to talk about this, because I I think I, I, that was the first thing I told you when I think I I said you should check this out and read it, because I was like, this is so much like Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny, like, it's not even funny, because, because, like, basically, like, like, you get the first hint of this because otherwise we wouldn't have a main character because, you know, the Crossbone Gundam X1 is clearly superior to this, I guess what they call the Bataris, which is like the, it's kind of like the, the Zaku of, I guess, Jupiter, I guess we'd say. And like, that's what Tobia goes out in to, to fight. Basically, he's going to fight off these pirates and this, you know, ensuing chaos and everything. And of course, like, you know, it, it's it's Kinkato, but it's it's Seabook, you know, and, and he makes short work of the, the Bataras. But before he's going to deliver, like, the final blow, it's the typical kind of Kira Yamato, I, you know, I'll destroy the mobile suit, but I'll let all these pilots eject and I won't take their lives. You know, I'm, I'm humane in that sense, or, or uh, you know, quote-unquote humane, as we'll, we'll see as the story progresses. I mean, they, they have some interesting twists and turns that I think were never dealt with in Gundam Seed Destiny. Yeah, or, you, you, you know, I, you I do recall you telling me that, like, Seabook and, like, Barra are basically, like, the proto, like, Kara and Lacus, basically. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean, it does feel that way. Like, Barra Rona is basically the the captain of the, what do they call it? It's the, I wrote it down, but I'm not looking at it. The Mother Vanguard? Yeah, yeah, she's the captain of the Mother Vanguard, which is basically the flagship of of the Crossbone Vanguard. And, you know, in the synopsis, basically, they go into it, but she restarts the Crossbone Vanguard, not out of some sense of that she wants to bring back the aristocracy, you know, because she spent her whole life fighting against it, but she uses... Her, her name value as a way to basically bring uh, a resistance together against what they know to be the evil of the Jupiter Empire. So in order to get that fighting force at her side, you know, she's willing to use any kind of, you know, old 
ideology that may, you know, bring people to her, her camp and everything like that. So, I mean, it, it does feel a lot like, like the Archangel and, and Lacus and, and, and that kind of stuff where it, it's, it's one of those things where even though Gundam doesn't use the same characters over and over again, I mean, it certainly, it certainly makes use of the same tropes, you know, whatever those tropes are, you know, it's interesting because it's hard to quantify it, but you know, it definitely has the, the quattro Bagina trope. It definitely, you know, the, the, the mystery man who's not quite such a mystery (laughs) to, to, to any of the audience, but is sort of a semi mystery to our, our lead protagonist who is not quite as familiar with them as the audience is. And then, you know, of course you've got this trope here of, you know, these, highly proficient, super badass pilots, but that they are either on orders not to, to kill the enemy, or they have some kind of, you know, highfalutin moral standards, in which case they're, you know, they're like, I will defeat you, but I will not take your life, you know, so this kind of comics code authority morality that, that sort of permeates through a lot of, you know, fiction and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. For us, it's fortunate because we get to keep our main protagonist. You know, we get to keep Tobia because it's like he doesn't die like right off the bat. You know, maybe if it was Zabine and he wasn't listening to to Bera, you know, maybe we'd have a completely different story. You know, but but in this case, it is it is a sea book, so so he you know obviously he lets him get out and everything, and 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 that's where you know everything gets turned on its head because you think oh well you know why would pirates attack this peaceful you know student exchange program ship, you know, like what, what could they, you know, they must be really nasty people if they attack a bunch of kids, you know, but of course the, the, the twist is that the student exchange is, is all a cover story. And basically what they're really trying to exchange is like poison gas. So it's like Jupiter is trying to send poison gas to earth so that they can, you know, use it for their own nefarious purposes. It's basically like, chemical warfare, you know, across, you know, the spaceways and stuff like that. And, I mean, a character that's going to play a big role throughout this whole saga is Professor Karras. And and it's funny because it's like, hey, Professor, what are you doing? Why are you pulling out that gun? Why are you putting it to my temple? You know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like he's a bad guy, you know. like, But <laughs> but it's like that that's that kind of thing of, you know, I guess you get taught by your you know, your learning instructor this whole time, and I guess there's supposed to be this level of of accepted trust, you know, that that you hand over when you're, you know, in a learning environment with a teacher, you know, and 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 basically he, I, it's weird. He still goes on to sort of espouse the ideals that he sees as being a teacher as the story continues, but but he kind of violates that in in my mind, you know, he kind of violates that trust between teacher and student because basically now he's going to gun them down now that that Tobia has come across all this you know chemical warfare evidence basically that they're going to you know assault the earth with with you know poison gas and stuff and 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 I guess luckily for us you know just as he's about to get gunned down there's this cool shot of like the X1 and it smashes through the hull and everything and they all get sucked out into space but luckily you know Tobia is wearing like a normal suit and so he's safe, and the professor was not wearing a normal suit, so you're like, fuck you, buddy. And so we're, we're, we're led to believe, spoilers, we're, we're led to believe that Professor Karras is dead, but, you know, 
keep that in mind as we as we continue discussing this. When um, when 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 has being sucked out into space like ever killed anyone in guns? You're like that. Don't do shit. I get sucked <laughs> out into space all the time, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I mean. I. I. I did. I was like, okay. I guess he's dead, but he's not. Yeah. And and I mean. I mean. This is. You know, basically at this point, you know, Tobia gets brought back into our main cast of characters and the characters that if you were, I guess, a fan of Gundam F-91 or even if you watched it with us, you know, maybe you listened to the first episode of Mobile Suit Mondays and and you remember watching the film along with us and everything. You know, this is where you'll have some, I guess, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, like some connection to to the previous you know, Gundam franchise, where you'll see the nature of this as a sequel and everything, because basically this is where Kinkato introduces himself to Tobia, and then he brings him before Captain Barra Rona, who, you know, of course we know as Cecily Fairchild from Gundam F-91 and everything. And then if you're paying close attention, you know, you can see Zabine Shiro in the background, and you're like, oh yeah, that's that's Zabine and everything. So, I mean, that that's basically, it, it, it's very similar to you know, Camille beat on having some skirmishes with the Titans and then basically falling mm-hmm. into the lap of the Ayug and then kind of joining up with them and everything. So it, 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 you know, it definitely that, that aspect of it. I mean, I guess you can't blame someone for, for stealing from the best, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah. you know, I love Zeta Gundam. Oh. So it's like, okay, well I'm going to have my hero, you know, kind of deal with the same, same kind of stuff. I mean, there are, I'm not going to say that Tobia is, like the greatest ever or anything, but I mean, he does certainly have shades of Camille Bidon to him, which of course is always a good thing in my book. Cause I, I love Camille Bidon. I was just going to say, like, I, I liked how you put it, like how, what we're talking about with C book and what do you call Kinkato and where it's, it's so completely like obvious if you're, you're in the know, but it, it's, you know, and even the protagonist, like, like Camille was always like, you know, Hey, are you sure Aznable like Quattro and, you know, Quattro Bagina's like, maybe, like, and you're like, oh, shut up, you fucking <laughs> asshole, you totally are, like, but, yeah, it's, 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 maybe it's, I like, am, yeah, exactly, and even, like, Kinkato like, even has, like, he, he has sort of, like, they, he, he's drawn with those expressions where he's, like, smiling, and he's like, you know, maybe, like, maybe I'm not, like, well, that, that's you, man, kind of like... you are, <laughs> <laughs> just, just tell me, damn it! No, it's kind of like that's that's basically exactly what happens when, like, they do the potato peeling stuff because it's this this funny scene of like, well, we don't have very many people here to work on the ship, so you know he grabs Tobia and it's like, okay, come on, bro, like we're gonna go peel these potato skins and everything, and that's used just as the auspices for basically giving us some expositional stuff. Like, if nobody's ever seen F-91, this is where you sort of get caught up to speed, where, you know, Toby's kind of like, hey, I, I remember in my history books, there was this dude named Seabook, and there was, you know, isn't Barrona like, a princess, and didn't she end the aristocracy, and... Remember that Gundam F-91 film? And, th- you know, this is where, of course, you know, Mike's telling you, you know... Kinkato's like sitting there going, I totally remember that wink, you know, like, like, I might have even been there for it, wink, wink, you know, so that's, that's kind of like, I mean, basically, 
Like, that's where he kind of tells him, he's like, well, you know, Seabook and Cecily eventually died, quote unquote, you know. But, of course, you know, my note is, like the X-Men in the Australian Outback, they got better and they're on the down low now. You know, it's like they don't want too many people to know that they actually survived and everything. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, some of the other stuff that happens is there's this big chaos because we're, we're introduced to some characters that are going to play a big role later on in the series. There was this girl who stowed away on the ship, and I guess it causes this big commotion because... It's like, for some reason, like, and this is one of those things where, you know, normally I'm like the kind of guy who's like, oh, she's hot and this is awesome. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to turn down any, you know, hot entertainment with young ladies and this and that and the other thing. But it's weird, like, for some reason, like, this is like the kind of nudity that's like Mobile Suit Gundam nudity where, like, the children walk in on, like, I forget who it is. It's, like, Frau Bo or something like that in the early episodes. Like, I'm trying to remember. It's just, like, this kind of tame, like, I'm in the shower and I'm naked. And it's like, yeah, I don't really care. You know, like, <laughs> like, like, it, it, it basically it's, it's Cecily. It's, it's Barrona. And for some reason, the stowaway girl is peeping in on her and everything. And then I think she thinks it's, like, Kinkato, you know, she's like, what? What's going on? And then it turns into this whole chaotic scene and everything. And then eventually they discover this girl's name is Bernadette Briette. And so she's going to go on to play a role, a pretty large role later on in this series. But for now, it's basically like, oh, it's the stowaway girl. And I believe Tobio remembers her because he tried to help her out during the original chaos where the pirate ship was attacking and everything, and she was also a stowaway on that ship as well. So we don't know too much about her, but since Tobio sort of vouches for her, you know, Cecily or Barrarona, you know, the captain of the ship basically is like, all right, well, you vouch for her, like, you're responsible for her. So you you look after her and everything like that. I know we talked about the, the Black X2, the super cool Black X2 and everything. And, you know, there's the scene where, you know, X1 and X2 launch and everything. And by this point, it's pretty definitive in case you hadn't picked up on it that Zabine is the pilot of the Black X two and everything, and and he's kind of more he's kind of more like me. I mean, as far as his personal beliefs go, like he's kind of annoyed with with Barrarona because it's kind of like her detect her directive. You know, he's like, oh, we we gotta be good. Like we can't actually kill anybody we get into battle with. You know, you gotta you gotta fight them till they drop, and then offer them the option to run away. You know, and it's just like he's not really he's not 100% on board with that, you know, he, he, he finds it to be, it's just not pragmatic, you know, like, from his perspective, he's like, why, why are you going to let somebody live that's going to come back to fight you again another day, yeah. and that's his perspective of it, I mean, you know, later on, we'll, we'll find out there's some interesting things that happen as a result of their quote-unquote mercy, which, you know, almost makes it irrelevant, other than, you know, the feel-goods that they get from doing it, I suppose. But here, again, we're, we're sort of seeing those those parallels with Kira Yamato and Lacus Klein. And I, I was going to ask you, like, do you, do you think there's anybody in, in Seed, Destiny, like, uh, I mean, is... He's not really like the Atherin of the group. Like, I mean, his, his story kind of dovetails into a totally different direction, I think. But, I mean, is there anybody he reminds you of in terms of Seed? Because I know in F91, he was kind of, I mean, I, I don't know. He, he was a little bit like like a Char clone in a way, but not really. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like okay, he's the cool 
low-key eyepatch guy who's supposed to be a really great mobile suit pilot and believes in the aristocracy and basically is, you know, he, he's supposed to be the guy who waits on Bararona hand and foot. And then you also kind of know, as we discussed on the F-91 show, like he, he kind of has a thing for her. You know, he was the guy, you know, with the flowers and all that other crap and stuff like that. So, I mean, there, there, there's that aspect to it, too, which is very subtle. I mean, they don't hit you over the head with it, but it's it's definitely there. I don't I don't know if I have a like uh, an, uh like, you know, a, a uh, what, what should I say? A, like a counterpart parallel. to him or yeah. a parallel to him, because. I don't like from very early on, like we'll talk about it later, obviously where his story goes, but from very, very early on, like I didn't trust him. Like, like it, at first, like it, it seems like it would be set up like a, like sort of like the beginning of Zeta where you're like, Oh, you know, like Quattro's like sort of a quote unquote good guy now, you know? And like you get on like very, very quickly, like he bonds with Camille and like, you know, like I was like, okay, well I trust Char now. Like he's cool. But Zabine, like, I, I don't know, like that, I think there's that moment early on where, like, he kind of asks, like, Kinkato, like, oh, you still don't trust me, do you? And, like, like Kinkato kind of gives him, like, a look, like, a suspicious look. And I was like, well, if Kinkato doesn't trust him, like, why should I trust him, basically? Like, and I don't know, like, eventually, like, we'll talk about it, but we're, you're, that feeling is eventually, like, validated, basically, so... Yeah, I mean, it it, it kind of feels like if if you wanted to use the the Zeta analogy, it's not so much like that Camille joins Ayug and then makes friends with Char, and then even though technically Zabine and Kinkato are longtime rivals who are now working together, it's not quite the same thing as when Camille meets Amuro Ray. It, it'd actually be more like if Camille somehow could magically meet Garma Zabi or something, and you're like sitting there going. Why, why did they let Garma Zabi on the ship exactly? Yeah. You know, like, like, what? Why did they do that? You know, like, I don't, I don't understand. You know, like, like, is that a good idea? Like, I'm not sure, but you know, I mean, you, you sort of understand it from the perspective that you know they have that that non-killing directive, and of course, you, you would think that would extend to sort of a strong forgiveness package. You know, so it's like they kind of <laughs> let him let him hang out and serve you know, the captain and everything, just like he, he used to, I suppose. And and that's, I guess that's part of the package that came with using the Crossbone Vanguard name. You know, he kind of probably helps with that as well. Like, there's, there's probably some kind of political benefit to having him support her claim and all that kind of stuff. The, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I, I thought reminded me a great deal of Seed is, like, one of my favorite scenes in Gundam Seed is, you know, after Kira Yamato's been gone from the Archangel for a really long time, and then you get to, like, the halfway point in the series, and there's this big battle on Earth, and they're at the docks and everything, and I, I don't remember all the details, but the, the main important crux of the scene is the bridge is about to be decimated. There's this, this enemy mobile suit. It comes up right in front of the bridge. The gun is pointing at all these characters that you've been following, that you quote-unquote know and love, or whatever, you know, however you want to put it, that you've been following for the course of these adventures. And you're like, oh crap, this guy's just gonna blow them all away. And of course, Kiri Yamato, you know, they pull out the Invoke theme song, and this badass beam comes down and blows away the guy's gun, and then he swoops down and you know, totally 
bangs the guy out of the way and everything. Still, you know, in keeping with the whole non-killing thing, but being a complete badass. And basically drives off, you know, all these attackers from his, you know, his friends and family, ostensibly. So there's this really cool scene like that. And, and I mean, it's not quite as emotionally charged, but there is this very cool moment where you see there's this basically, you know, there's this missile that's headed towards the Mother Vanguard, which, you know, is the mothership of the Crossbone Vanguard. And basically, at, you know, the X-1, you know, blasts the missile and, and stops it from destroying the, the, the mothership, you know, and I thought that was like, I, I thought it was a super cool scene, but I'm not sure what you, what your take on that was. Yeah, I thought that was pretty, like, badass, where he was, like, you know, he's, like, they, the ship and him kind of work together, where Barrow's like, you know, put the shield up as soon as he fires, yeah, so, like, you know, we won't get hit by the explosion of the missile when he shoots it down, and, yeah, it was pretty it, cool, he, like, sharpened it out. I think there's some aspect where the supporting cast in this seems a lot more capable. You know, they're they're preparing for it. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I don't know, like the, you know, there's certain aspects where it's not it's not all on it's not all on Kinkato or Seabook, you know, or to or, or Tobia as as we'll come to view him later too as a main protagonist. You know, it's not all on the main protagonist to do everything. Like there are other. Yeah factors in play and everybody sorts of you know they sort of play a role it's not like like i feel like you know the crossbone gundam no matter how many like weapons and stuff it has i don't feel like it's super overpowered to the point it could take on an army whereas like maybe the freedom gundam seemed like like that it had that kind of stature to it yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, there, there is a sense that this is still universe century. Like, there, as much as there can be some awesome, super cool things that go down and, and, and very cool feats as far as pilots and new types and all that stuff goes, it's not so outrageous that, you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're still in a world where, you know, Char taking out four ships is, like, a huge deal as opposed to, you know, I don't know, Char, like, destroying an entire fleet or something, you know, or, or you know. Kinkato, Kinkato doesn't have any easy targeting system that just, like, pops up and goes, <laughs> beep, 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 you know, and like, it's bam! Like, yeah. it's the, the kill everybody yeah. button who's not my friend, yeah. Or, as, 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 the, as the fan base or, likes or, to or, call. Or disable, disable yeah. everyone who's as, not as my the friend. Fan, as the, the fan base likes to call, like, Freedom's, like, full burst attack, the gay spam, like... <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they get more into, like, the the Crossbone Vanguard's main mission, their main priority, and, and what they intend to do is basically take out the leader of the Jupiter Empire, and this is a fellow that goes by the name Crux Doggety. And hopefully, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't try to make it sound yeah. French or anything, but that's that's basically what, you know... That that that's the the main mastermind behind all the machinations of the Jupiter Empire. Now this character, I I was describing him like Luke Skywalker in the Back to Tank, like because he's this he's this frail old man who's kind of balding but with really long hair, but he's he's always behind this this watery tank. And he's got all these tubes running into him and everything like that. And so, yeah, it, it felt like he was like Luke in the back of the tank. And then there is there is this weird sense of ominousness to him. Like I I would kind of put it as like and and these 
examples may or may not be lost on our audience, but it it was like the guild navigators in Dune, like when they come out and they're in these glass encasements, and you can you can sort of see there's somebody back there in the smoke, you know, and then when they move forward, they're all kind of creepy looking and everything, and and there is that aspect of the character where you know. It's like he comes out into the forefront of his back to tank. He's, like, he is creepy. very often like drawn and like shaded, very like ominously and like yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, there, there's no there's no doubt that he's like the big bad, you know. Like, I mean, it, it, it's it's clear from the artistic choices and everything. There there was also I, this is totally random and you won't get this at all, but there there was also this episode of Torchwood and like it was all about like you know. Basically, it was a mini series that was basically like supposed to be like this thing about you know ethical, moral dilemmas and stuff like that, and how you know a long time ago in the fifties, like the the lead character gave up like I forget what it was like ten or twelve kids to this alien race so that they wouldn't destroy the earth, but then they come back and it's like they couldn't understand them and kind of like the space skilled navigators and kind of like this you know, Crux Dogati and the, the, the back to tank and everything. There are these like creepy ass aliens in there. And basically they want to like, I don't know. It, it's such a weird show, Torchwood. <laughs> but anyway, it's like, they want to basically that like kids, little kids are like their crack cocaine or something. And they, they basically, that's what they use them for. And like, they like live off them and everything. And like, when you finally see they're like, you know, snorting this little kid or whatever, you're just like, holy crap. And then it's like, well, what are their demands this time? It's like, well, we want like two thirds of the world's children or whatever. And, you know, it's like, fuck that shit. Like what? And like, anyway, but like that, that's what it reminded me of. Like those kind of things, like very ominous, like threatening kind of stuff. And, and of course, I think that reaction is also justified as we, as we continue later on in the story. Like it's not like a, a false sense of, of menace like that, that character has a lot of evil to him. And, and that comes to the forefront, you know, especially towards the end of the series and everything, you know, in, in the background of this story, you know, Tobia basically, you know, he's doing his Jedi night training, I guess, you know, and, you know, life goes on, you know, it's like, you know, he's, there's this weird aspect where, you know, he's kind of got a crush on Bernadette and Bernadette kind of has a crush on Kinkato, and he's a little jealous, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they, they like we talked about before, they kind of go into the beam absorption cape that was created for the X-1. And this is where we get into the whole zabine Kinkato slash Seabook rivalry and everything. You know, kind of I, just, I, just, I, do, I just wanted to make a quick joke. Like, I I, thought, I was laughing at that scene where, like, you know, Bernadette, like, you know, like, is like, here's your juice, Kinkato. And, like, you know, he's like, thanks, princess. And then, like, Toby is like, Kinkato, are you a pedophile? Like, and, like, the, 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 the way they translated it was, was he was like, I'm not going to answer that. And, like, I'm sure the, the, the context was, you know, like, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. But, like, the way, like, I told you, like, I was, like, taking, like, all his, like, bullshit about him being Siba Carno. Uh, like I was kind of like he, he was he was like maybe like I'm not gonna tell you like no it's like it's like I'm not gonna answer that wink and then it's like ding and then, like his teeth get all sparkly like no I yeah I mean yeah he's clearly not he's clearly you know he he's in love with the captain and and that's made pretty clear throughout the course of the series but yeah there there is something sort of lost in translation in that scene like I guess it's supposed to be funny but. 
you know, I guess when you're talking about like pedophilia, you start to get like, oh, wait, they're making light of it. And, you know, but not really. Like, I, I think it's just like the idea that, you know, the kid's kind of like, what's up, dude? Like, you, you liking my girl? Because yeah. that's my girl, you know, like, so that's kind of what, yeah. you know, and, and, and to Kinkato, it's like not even, you know, that it's nothing he ever considered anyway. So, oh, just getting back to what I was talking about with Zabine, like, you know, Kinkato describes it, their their relationship as, well, we're allies now, but we're forever rivals, you know, and and again, you know, that basically echoes the whole you know, Char and Amuro in Zeta when, when they, you know, Camille kind of sees the two of them interact and everything like that. I mean, it, it even goes so far as to the, the idea that, you know, Kinkato doesn't even trust Zabine alone on the Mother Vanguard, you know, like, because th- there's this, there's this point where Kinkato is going to launch in the X-1 in, in on a mission and everything, and then he turns to Tobia, and it's kind of like, well, you know, and Tobia's like, I've never launched in, you know, the Gundam before, and he's like, you want to? And he's kind of like, I can? And then and then that's kind of how they do, they pull the wool over Zabine's eyes, because Zabine's kind of like, you know, you know, basically, you know, kind of clasping his hands together, doing the whole moo-ha-ha-ha, like he's left the, the ship and now I am free to do what I will. Moo-ha-ha-ha. And he's like, what are you laughing about, dude? And he's like, Kinkato! <laughs> why are you not on that ship? You know, and it's like, because I know you're going to fucking pull some stupid shit, dude, and I let Tobia go. And it's like, what? You it's know, like, so. Zabine, are you planning to take over? And Zabine's like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Are you going to try and stop me, Kinkato? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all very, everybody's playing their cards close to their chests, I guess, and this and stuff. You know, they're, they're, in that battle, it's pretty awesome because Tobia is, again, kind of bringing himself to the forefront as a as a main protagonist and, and showing off his... It's either, you know, he's a lucky-ass fuck or, you know, he's a new type, you know? But, like, basically, that's that's kind of the, the, the general gist of what, what goes on in that battle. There's this huge mobile armor called the, the Gangrejo, and it basically, like, you know... Tobia's solution to it is to, you know, charge the mobile armor and everything. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, you'd think like, oh, wow, like he's probably going to get killed doing like this kamikaze thing and everything. But luckily, I guess what happens is at that point, C-Book comes out in another core fighter and it's like him and Tobia swap seats or or I guess I, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but they sort of do a core fighter swap on the X-1, and then C-Book can finish owning the the Grand, uh, the Grand Grigio and everything like that. So that's, you know, it, it's like the first instance, you know, it's like, oh, he fought Kinkato in the opening of the manga, and now he's going out in the Gundam doing, like, his own deal. And he's, you know, basically anybody else would be dead by that point, but he's still alive and kicking and, and doing his thing and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess you gotta, like, chalk it up to, like, you know, he's a new type, so that's why, you know, it, it seems like, you know, they're in, they're in the middle of this really serious attack, and Kinkato's like, here you go, kid, like, try my Gundam, like, <laughs> but 
I guess, you know, it's the protagonist thing where it's like, he's a new type, so he's going to survive, whatever. Yeah, well, you know, he's clearly, he's got the biggest main character-itis out of of anybody, you know, so so there's there's lots of cool, he gets to do lots of cool things, which, you know, I I don't have a problem with main character-itis that much. I mean, Tobia eventually, I, I, I think... You know, it's that thing, you sort of have to get over the trope. If if you're the type of person who watches Gundam and goes, oh, I can't believe these little kids can do all this cool shit, this is dumb. Like, you're never really going to get into the series, you know? Yeah. Like, you just kind of have to accept that it's face value. You know, new types are equated to Jedi Knights or, you know, wh- whatever, you know, awesome fictional kind of gurus you can come up with. But, you know, you just kind of have to take that at face value. And, and he's he's going through some of the you know, the pangs of, of being with the crossbone Vanguard. And, and of course he comes out unscathed and, and goes on to, you know, basically whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And he continues to go on in the rest of the, the manga and, and get stronger and everything. I mean, their main, their main objective at this point, you know, again, is to infiltrate the Jupiter empire. It, it's kind of this, I, I thought it was a pretty clever plan. I mean, they, they infiltrate the Jupiter empire by having Tobia pose as, you know, who he is, an exchange student, but they have him pose as an exchange student on the run, and Zabine and a bunch of the other Crossbone Vanguard ships are chasing after him, and then they shoot him down, and, you know, of course, you know, being the experts they are at, like, totally destroying a suit but not killing the, the people inside, you know, it, it's it's Tobia and then, you know, basically another, he's like, I've got a Jovian citizen with me, like, you, you guys gotta take me inside. And th- this this part I, I thought was interesting because they they go into how this whole plan was hatched in flashback and everything. But, I mean, it's, it's basically successful because you've got Kinkato, you know, all bandaged up like he's this Jovian citizen. And then we're introduced to, I guess, the... I'd say it's the Ramba Rall of, of the manga. It, it's a character named Barnes Gemsbeck, who they call Burns in this translation. But I, I'm probably going to go back and forth and be like, Barnes Burns or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, Barnes Burns basically is this kind of, you know, big, gruff, bearded, you know, he, he he's Riker, you know, on, on The Next Generation. But he, he's part of the Jupiter Empire and you know, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy, you know, like, it's basically like he's fighting for the Jupiter Empire, he's a good soldier, it's just ever since his son died, he kind of, you know, basically is like, I'm going to stop wearing my space helmet because I kind of want to die, you know, like, that kind of thing, and he's the, the guy, and his his unit is the guy that, you know, quote-unquote, saves Tobia and, and this Jovian citizen who, who is actually Kinkato in disguise, and and the way they set up the the flat you know they set it up in the flashback because i guess you know one thing we didn't talk about was professor Karras had this numeric symbol on his hand and i guess your the the understanding is that everybody in the jupiter empire is numerically designated like some kind of weird you know holocaust tattoo or something but i guess they they take some pride in their designation or whatever and so it's like the only way to fake getting on that station and pretending he's a member of the Jupiter Empire is he's got to have his own little numeric symbol, you know, Kinkato. And and this is where, I guess, the trouble in paradise begins with the, my name is Superman and I do not kill, except for on Tuesdays and when I, you know, 
it'll throw people back to the dawn of time and they explode, <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's it like this the, is where the, it was the dawn of time that killed them, not me. Yeah, and not not I. You know, th- this is where the trouble in paradise happens because basically you're like, well, you know, where did he get that? numerical code from and and basically in the flashback you find out oh well there's this there's this dead jovian soldier and that's where the the number tag from the hand comes from and and they have this this interesting exchange you know toby is learning about all the gray areas it's like you might have your your highfalutin morality but you know it doesn't always hold up all the time because he's like so you still can't fully reduce the casualties to zero right and Seabook is pretty on, or Kinkato is pretty honest with them, and he just says it's still a war, you know, like we can't we can't control everything, you know, we can try, but you know it it doesn't always happen. So obviously, you know, they they try to minimize casualties, but that doesn't mean, you know, that there aren't going to be that there are going to be zero casualties. So it's it's not quite the Spider-Man ridiculousness of you know nobody dies today it's like it's like we're gonna try so that nobody dies today but if a couple of people get killed we're sorry but we tried you know so that's that's basically the the salute but it doesn't sound as good when you say it that way everybody lives rose just this once everybody lives i guess you know what was funny was this is something we should ask about like the Barrarona has a mechanical parrot, and we first see it in this flashback. And the mechanical parrot is basically supposed to be—I guess it's supposed to be Haro. Like, I mean, the 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 way the the wikia kind of paints it is—I mean, uh, and and I mean, even the the manga itself. I mean, some of the quotes from it, you know, the the parrot says Miss Matilda. You know, it it talks about. I think it says stuff about Char, and, and it starts quoting Char liberally and stuff in, in some of the scenes. So there's, you know, I mean, the, the insinuation that, that the wikia takes from it is that, you know, it, it either is Haro or the parrot was constructed from the remains of Amuro Ray's Haro. Because I guess the thought is, like, where else would he know, you know, Miss Matilda! You know, yeah. where else would he know Miss Matilda from? I mean, I guess it's kind of an interesting idea. I don't know. Like, I, sometimes you're like, oh, man, Haro's been bastardized. He's been turned into a parrot, you know? But So there's part of me that's, like, kind of butthurt about it, and there's part of me that's like, oh, that's... I mean, that's kind of cool. You know, Haro lives on, I guess, or whatever. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, what? Did, did you have any any thoughts on that? Does it matter to you at all? No, you know, I just kind of, you know, went with it. I was like, uh, I didn't actually know it was a robot parrot, but like, I, I, I thought it was like an actual parrot. But other than oh, that, it, it was like it was like a parrot that was like trained to like say Miss Matilda. Cause yeah, it exactly. And I, I, I guess I didn't think of it like that hard. Basically, I it's, thought it was just like in jokes or whatever. It's a fifty-year-old parrot. It used to hang out at Amro's estate in Zeta Gundam. Exactly. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, it's supposed to be a mechanical one. But I just wanted to bring up the whole thing about the the dead Jovian soldier because I'm like, you know, Toby is sitting there, you know, kind of he he even doubts the effectiveness of not killing, you know, your opponents in a war. And then and then there's this funny scene where you know Zabine basically, you know, kind of confirms this to him as his own personal belief. But you know, Tobia is just 
you know, he's, he's having some thought balloons, you know, basically. And he's like, how, what, how did you know I was thinking about that? Like, I didn't say it out loud, you know, it's like, but I guess, you know, the, the idea is he can read, you can read the discourse on his face, you know, and he's just kind of saying, Hey, I, I know what you're talking about. It doesn't make too much sense to me either, kid. You know, that, that they're letting all these people live and everything. There's that aspect to it, which, you know, it's like, maybe I am. Maybe I am. Yeah. There's some supporting characters that I, I just made some notes about that I wanted to go into that are part of the the Crossbone Vanguard crew. There's an older guy named Uman who they, he's kind of like the old man, like chief, like, you know, kind of fixer-upper guy and everything, and, and they kind of turn to him for, for certain tasks. I mean, he's obviously an older, trusted mentor-type character, but he's kind of a bit, he's a bit goofy. He's got that kind of air of, you know, the wacky old man to him as well and everything. And they do they do kind of mention he, he it's weird, like, they, they talk about how he had new-type prowess and he, he fought in the one-year war and all this kind of stuff, and you, you sort of, I don't know, it's weird, like, at some points in the story, it seems like he actively is a new type. Like, he gets the little new type pang and everything. But when they first mentioned it, I I don't know if it's, like, I'm skeptical because of the character's kind of goofy side. But, like, I, I think when I was first introduced to him, I kind of thought, like, is he just blowing smoke up everybody's ass? Like, is he that kind of guy who's like, I was in the one-year war, and I blew up, like, 30 ships, and I scratched Char Aznoble's ass, and I did this and did this, and he's just kind of full of crap, you know? Like, I, yeah, I just wasn't... Like, well, he says, like, he, he destroyed, like, four doms and a ball, so I was like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> like... Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know. You're like, how how awesome could he be and everything? It, it looks like he's got a, I think it's his granddaughter or his daughter or something, but there's a there's a blonde girl named Yona, and, you know, they're basically talking to Tobia, kind of saying, well, you know, you could be a new type too and everything. And and the main thing I had on Yona was, she, you know, she's she's a cute design, pretty girl and everything, but what, what it reminds me of, and, and you, you might not see it because I don't know I, I don't know you you may have started watching this I can't remember now but she reminds me of Katagina Luz from from Victory Gundam like you know the way she's got the little black hair braid thing and oh, the long blonde girl hair. yeah I know yeah. who she is. I haven't watched it but I do know who she is yeah okay okay yeah I mean I don't know I don't think the characters like you know in personality wise I don't think they're similar at all you know like she seems to be much nicer than than Katagina, you know. But I mean, they, they they seem to be like anime Gwen Stacy's, I guess, for lack of a better term. You know, <laughs> like they they kind of you know blondes with the little black hair thing in their head, and that's basically you know sort of what I took out of that. You know, those supporting characters and everything. When they infiltrate, one of the things I wanted to bring up, and and this is probably like the the last part of of Volume One before we move on to Volume Two, but for me, there there was this interesting section where you know they're they're infiltrating and everything. And for me, I mean, it, it it's that dichotomy of you know I I think in today's day and age there are people that you know we've talked about this before I think on the podcast where people you know they they either work with you know their their minds you know or they think with their minds or they think with their heart you know and and sometimes those need to be mutually exclusive you know and and there's this 
point where Tobia basically his emotions get the better of him and and you know because he cares you know because he's a good kid you know it's like he basically sees this little girl who needs water and even after he gives it to her he, he almost gives this this you know basically fuel tank of water to her without giving and and it's fine that he's a compassionate kid but it's like for the 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 Jupiter Empire, it's like water is this extremely rare commodity, and nobody would just give it away without looking extremely suspect. So, like, basically, Kato has to, like, turn around and be like, are you mad? Like, you are my subordinate, and I will slap you and beat you because, you know, you, you're giving away this precious resource. And he's, like, trying to save face in front of all these people. And he's like, come on, let's get the fuck out of here before they fucking see us, you know? So it's like he's he's kind of got to, like, cover for, for, you know, Tobia doing that, you know? And it's like, it's not like he's a bad kid, but it's it's kind of like he, he sort of, He's sort of fucked up in that instance, and then, and then of course later on we'll see it actually like that. It turns out that helps them. So I mean, you can see where the story's slant lies. You know, it's like obviously to them, you know, you know, being compassionate and emotional is better. But for that particular instance, it it could have really, you know, put them all at risk. It could have it could have led to all their deaths and everything. So. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of a nice little touch, basically, where that kind of, yeah, idealistic thinking could get them killed at that point, or, you know, give the game away. Yeah, I mean, basically, Volume 1 ends with them, they, they enter into this community there, you know, as they're sort of running away from that that situation, that skirmish, and it, it I, I guess I just wrote it up as, it's an anti-grav community, because I guess... That it it you know I guess in the Jupiter Empire nobody is sort of set with the preconceived notions of Earth's gravity that that they have to be you know working from top to you know top to bottom bottom to top or whatever like those, those kind of perceptions and everything so when they step into this community it's weird to them because they're like whoa like wait there's people up on the ceiling and there's people up on the side of the wall and like. There's some people with houses up over there in the corner, and they're all kind of, like, tripped out and everything. And in the midst of all that, it's like these kind of, I guess, Terminator hunter drones kind of discover them and everything. And they're like, oh, crap, I think I think they're on to us. You know, like, because I think, you know, as much as Kinkato tried to play it off, like, I, I think there were certainly people in that group that are like, hey, we better call in on those guys, because they, they seem funny. Yep. <laughs> I had nothing to add. Fuckada! Volume 2 begins with their escape, because, you know, they, they clearly are discovered, and basically, like, these kind of drones, like, start to fire on them indiscriminately, and and then, you know, basically, Tobia, again, you know, the, these kind of aspects of morality and war that most Gundam deals with, you know, he's kind of shocked that, you know, it's like, what, don't they care? They're shooting their own civilians, you know, basically, like, in this this anti-grav town and everything like that. And then coming back to, you know, what we were discussing before, you know, the, the mercy of the crossbone vanguard, you know, in, in these big skirmishes, it's like, yes, Sabine was annoyed to leave these pilots alive. And, you know, basically Barrona is like, no, you gotta, you gotta do it and everything. And so he listened to his captain. And so there were the, I think there's like nine or 10 of them or whatever, and so when they were all left alive, 
you know, they're, I guess the solution is they're like, well, we're going to shoot you guys into space and more than likely you'll get picked up by your, your people and everything, but we're not going to kill you. You know, we're just going to excise you from our ship and everything like that, which, you know, you, you start to question like, you know, well, that he could, you know, these guys could run out of oxygen before that happens. So you could conceivably still be killing them, you know, but I guess, you know, they, they sort of, you know, have this whole, you know, pat themselves on the back, like, Oh yeah, we had it all planned and they were going to get picked up by their people and we can feel good about ourselves because we did not, you know, kill anyone, you know, in the midst of our goals and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and to them, I guess they, they think it's going to forge this, this bond, you know, between, the people of the Jupiter Empire, like, oh, if we show them mercy, like, you know, they'll go back and spread that to their people, and they'll see we're not such bad people, and maybe all the people in the Jupiter Empire that are not of the same ideals and 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 notions as their their evil, corrupted government, you know, that that they will, you know, maybe stand up with us instead of fight against us. Like that's that's the idealistic notion of of why they do what they do, but sort of in a bitter irony, you know, Toby is listening to all this, you know, radio broadcasting as, as they're being assaulted by these, these mobile drones and everything. And basically the, the captured pilots that the Crossbone Vanguard released and didn't kill, they were picked up and found in space, but the Jupiter Empire is just going to execute them. Like, cause from their perspective, they abandoned their mobile suits. They failed in their duties and probably the real reason why they're going to execute them is it's to negate this, this you know, the subterfuge of their real plan. It's like they're not letting them live because they're so benevolent. They're letting them live to pass on the goodwill of the Crossbone Vanguard. And rather than have them do that, it's probably a lot safer to just kill them outright so that they don't spread any dissent into the the empire and the community and everything like that. And, you know, there's this funny, you know, like one of the things I wrote down is it's, it's the whole, you know, how can this be, you know? And that's, that's what, (laughs) that's basically what Toby is like, you know, he's, he's wrestling with the whole, it's like, wait, wait, let them live, but now you're going to kill them. And you're, you know, you're, you're their people. Like, I don't get it. (laughs) Like, but you know, they're, they're obviously we've, we've gone into the rationale and reasons of why, those things would occur, but to him, he's he's still a young man and doesn't understand all the intrinsities of 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 you know war and politics and all this other kind of stuff. So to him, it's just total anathema. You know, it's like why why would you kill your own people? Like that's crazy. So I liked I liked that C book or Kinkato admitted that he like knew it would go down like this, but they kind of keep it secret from Barra. Because, you know, he's like, oh, you know, we, we don't tell her this stuff, basically. We, we don't want her to have the feel-bads. Yeah. Even though we, we know it's kind of going to end up like this. It's like, so she can feel good about herself, but, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really do too much good, I guess. I don't know. I Yeah, I kind of I thought that was a little it's a, funny. Yeah, I just like it because it's, it's kind of like, you know, even though he, he, he seemed... He he pretty much he subscribes to her like ideals, but like also he has like a streak of like realism, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know that I guess that's an interesting aspect to bring up because you'll you'll see that in the closing chapters where you know there'll, there'll be some divergence, shall we say, from the the regular comics code authority routine, you know. As, as we finish off the manga and everything, but basically in, in the midst of this escape. There's a mystery masked man who identified Tobia and Seabook. And you're like thinking, wait a minute, like, 
who the hell is this guy? And, and you know, he was like kind of, it looked like he was on a hospital bed or something like that. And he, he had this, this mask on his face and everything. And I don't, I don't know about you, but he kind of reminded me a little bit of Young Justice Sportsmaster. And he yeah, reminded, he's got that uh, like ski mask. Yeah. And, and, and then he reminded me a whole hell of a lot once he showed up again in his suit as like one of those like court of owls type guys you yeah. know like one of the you know not necessarily a talon but but sort of like the the sort of you know main you know aristocracy of yeah, the court definitely. of owls thing and so he's kind of got that creepy look and everything and of course they they don't they don't keep it secret for much longer basically as as he's pursuing them and everything it's like well you know who are you like how do you know us you know and it's like haha Remember when Derek said that Professor Karras got sucked out into space and died, but he really didn't die? It's me! <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, so it's like that professor from before who you thought, you know, perished, basically. You know, he, he had some kind of uh, lifeline, you know, where he, you know, shot his little grappling hook and everything. And he, he used the, the three seconds that you can not you know, freeze up and your eyes bulge out and explode in space. Like, I guess he used that time well. So he, he basically, you know, pulled himself back and, and was recuperating in the, the Jupiter hospital when, when they, you know, rolled into town. And so then he was hot on their trail after that and everything like that. And then there, there's this odd moment where it's, it's, it's more set up for, for future plot lines and stories and everything. And I guess, I guess something that we, we didn't mention was that Bernadette, who, you know, is of course the, the little girl that Tobia has the, has the, you know, he's sweet for basically, you know, like before they go on this perilous mission where they could die, she gives him like this little trinket, like it's this kind of piece of jewelry. And basically it's like, you know, bring this back to me, come home safe. This is for luck, you know, like whatever kind of excuse you want to give and stuff like that. And when Professor Karras sees that, he clearly recognizes it and is like totally like, what? What? How do you have that? Like, what is what is this? I don't know. What? Ah, you know, and he's all freaked out by it and stuff. And so that's that's kind of a, a hint as to, you know, a, a pretty, pretty. Uh, major Gundam trope that's gonna sort of rear its its ugly head later on in the in the series or whatever. It's not really ugly, but you know, it's it's one of those typical Gundam tropes that's gonna show up later on. And this is the first, I think this is the first major hint that we get about it and stuff. Like, what, what I mean, do you do you like Professor Karras to this point? Like, I know you said you weren't that bothered by the fact that he's he's still alive and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, he's cool. He seems kind of, like, eccentric, I guess. I don't know. There is, a, I don't know, like, there's an element of, like, I don't know, know how to describe it, like, sordidness to him, I guess. Like, he seems like, I don't know. Like, he's, 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 he's still, he's, it, it seems like he's still attached to Tobia, but that doesn't stop him from trying to kill him. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a certain sense of skeeviness to him. It's like, if he can, if he can use kids to... To meet his own goals, he will, but if he has to bump off Tobia, then it's not like he loses much sleep over it. I mean, you, you, you do see that later on in, in the course of the manga where there, you know, obviously you, you think he has a great number of pupils and that, you know, it, it's kind of like that unwritten rule, you know, you'd think a teacher would care about his pupils, but it, it's almost like the callousness of, well, 
if my pupils are stupid and they fail me, then they're not really my pupils and I don't care about their fate. Like, there's that kind of callous nature to his character as well. So after they escape from Professor Karras, basically we are given a callback to when Tobia gave that little girl water from before. And, of course, it turns out that that paid off because the little girl remembers his kindness and she brings her mother to basically help him and Kinkato escape in this secret passageway that leads to some mobile suits so that they can actually get off of the Jupiter Empire, like, moon base or wherever they are. And so, at that point, we've got a skirmish between Lieutenant Barnes slash Burns, and he's fighting with Tobia and Seabook. I guess I guess this is the opportunity, you know, they, they kind of talk through Lieutenant Burns, like, to be critical of, like, humanity's expansionist-type nature, you know? Like, the you know, the, the idea that they expand into space, but then, you know, they're, it, it, it's kind of like that notion of, oh, well, scientifically, it's like, what are you going to do on Jupiter? We can't breathe there. It's just a bunch of noxious gases to us. So it, it, it's kind of like, basically, they're, they're saying, like, well, you basically have moved a large chunk of humanity out into a place where there are no natural resources and things like air and water, like, I mean, they're basically taken for granted on earth. Like you're going to have oxygen. You know what I mean? Like you're most, most, you know, first world places, you're going to have water, you know, but in, in this case, it's not even a matter of, like, first and third world. It's, like, first and, I don't know, you know, hundredth world or, you know, whatever. It's, like, there is no fucking water on Jupiter. You know, like, so it's, like, everything has to be man-made. So, I mean, I, I guess it's that opportunity. It's, like, in the middle of this, like, mobile suit fight, as as Gundam is tended to do, you know, across all the different series, you know, there's there's lots of political espousing as they engage in, in battle, you know, where that that point is very clear that, you know, there, there's a, a definite critique of of humanity expanding into space and, and how that exactly works and what you sort of abandon when you when you leave Earth and, you know, what people take for granted that, you know, is not you know, things that people think are universal on one planet are not universal in the grander sense of the universe. You know, you're, you're not going to find water and air on Pluto. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. No, it, it, I, I do like, yeah, like that kind of tirade, like Burns goes on when he's attacking, like, Tobia, where he's like, like, yeah... He's like, we have to count the number of breaths we take. And he's not like, he's being literal, basically. Basically, at that point, you know, the, the battle ends because the Crossbone Vanguard shows up and, and rescues our heroes. And then Barnes, basically, he, he, he is resolved to invade Earth with the Jupiter Empire. Like, you know, even though he, he sort of, you can tell he, he, he has a soft spot for Tobia. You know, maybe he reminds him a little bit of his... His son, who has passed away, he's not going to abandon his, you know, what what he thinks are his principles, and he he basically resolves to fight on. And then when they all return to the ship, Tobia is kind of happy because he sees that that Kinkato and 
Barra are sort of having a thing over there, like behind the corner and stuff like that. And he's kind of like, oh, good. Like, that means he's not a this is where Toby is like, he's not a pedophile after all. He, he doesn't have any competition for Bernadette, you know, and so he's happy about that. And then this is something I wanted to ask you about, because this was another another Haro parrot quote. And I think I think it's a Shar quote because the, the Haro parrot's like, is this the power of youth squawk? You know, and then and then after that, the parrot's like, "Do you know Shar as Noble?" You know, so like I I, I kind of thought at, at the very least the Haro parrot was funny. I think yeah yeah I, I'm pretty sure that's I'm not sure if it's the the way it was translated when we originally watched it, but I think that's like a Zeta quote where, where yeah it's Camille, like that when Camille yells at him or something and like decks him or whatever, and Char Shar's like you know. I think that's like the infamous like Char sheds a tear like after Camille texts oh. him or whatever. Scene. Okay, okay, okay. But, yeah. I hate you adults and your lies. He's still too young. Bernadette is supposed to go off with with all the other students and get returned to Earth at this point, but she ends up sneaking aboard the Mother Vanguard again. And this, I mean, I, I don't know, this may be spoiling some stuff, but my, my instinct was correct. So I, I guess I'll just say it now. But, you know, to me, I was like, man, I, I was like, Bernadette's kind of reminding me of Audrey Byrne from Gundam Unicorn, you know, and, and, and that sort of paid off, I guess, because it's like it, it just it had had that. I, I, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, they may not have all the same characters from series to series, but it's like if you've watched enough Gundam, you can sort of you can recognize a Gundam trope when you see one. And, and she was, you know, she was just blaring signs of, of, you know, Gundam trope all day long, you know, whether it's like seed or, or unicorn or, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm just a little girl and I'm in my, my, you know, civilian clothes that are non-royalty. And then all of a sudden it's like, you are the princess of blah, 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 blah. You know? Yeah, so definitely. I was, I, yeah. I was already sort of, keying in on that. At at this point, they they, they go into a little bit, you know, uh, of the backstory with Tobia. I I guess, I don't don't know if this is, I I don't recall this being in a lot of Gundam stuff, but I mean, you are reminded a bit of Peter Parker, because they they say, or or even Luke Skywalker, you know, it's like Tobia, you know, it's like he was raised by his aunt and uncle, and his parents were lost in a colony development accident, you know, so I I guess in that sense, you know, I, I think you know, Burns, like his, his speech, you know, about, you know, the expansion and, and, and how resources are precious and all that kind of stuff. I think in some sense, based on Tobia's background, like those words probably speak to him also, you know, he's not, he's not deaf to what Burns said to him, you know? Yeah. I mean, for, for the rest of volume two, I, I don't have a whole hell of a lot. I mean, they, it's kind of like this is the, you know, Shakespeare point where it's like, and then they fight, you know, because they, they go into this big battle and stuff. And basically there are these, you know, I, I, I kind of labeled them like doom roller mobile suits where they've got like these spiky wheels attached to them or whatever. I mean, they look kind of interesting. It was like, you know, the big wheel or the doom roller of mobile suits and stuff like that. And... Then at this point, you know, it's like 
this is where Tobia really goes all, you know, full-on new type, and he, like, starts taking out all these, like, newfangled funnels that are assaulting them and everything like that. You know, this is the big twist that we all saw coming where, you know, Zabine reveals, like, hey, I'm actually all about reviving the aristocracy, so I'm going to try to, you know, take over the ship and stuff like that. And then, of course, as they're, you know, kind of, you know, heading towards, you know, because that, that, mission they had to discover the location of Crux Dogati, you know, they escaped and they were successful. So at that point, you know, there's this kind of creepy, you know, return to his back to tank and he's kind of like, let them come, <laughs> you know, shit like that. It's like, let them come. So that's, that's kind of where we end volume two. Let them come. And then basically, you know, volume three, it's the invasion of Jupiter base. So, you know, there and, and this is where, you know, my my speculation of a Gundam trope coming to pass pays off because, you know, it's like basically this girl in a normal suit is running around with the same trinket that Bernadette gave to Tobia. So this is, you know, I mean, at this point, if you don't know, I mean, it's like, clearly this is Bernadette with the, the trinket of royalty, whatever the fuck it is, you know, <laughs> like, this is basically like, oh, okay, this is what's going on here and everything. And of course, all our heroes come in and they, they find Crux Dogati's back to tank and everything, and they try to shoot it up and everything. And, and it's like, oh, you know, you know, aren't they scumbags for shooting up an old man's back to tank? But of course, he, you know, all the water like spills out of it, and then there's like this like kind of vicious Deathlock esque cyborg that comes out of there. You know, it's like he's like half old man and half like Wolverine skeleton, basically like coming out and trying to attack Kinkato. And at this point, Zabine helps Kinkato to to stop this like you know skeletal robot, basically. And you know, at first, you know, you might think like, oh, well, you know, it's just. Dogati is just a Deathlock cyborg, basically, and now they've stopped his evil threat. But, of course, we're only on Volume 3, and so, you know, Kinkato quickly determines, he's like, well, look, this is more like a Doombot, you know? This is, this is not yeah. the real thing, like, this is just, this is just a facsimile than, than the actual guy in charge. And, and I guess, I, I, you know, as if on cue, then, you know, it, there's his voice that booms over, like, some kind of loudspeaker or whatever. And he, he basically goes into it, like, he, he transfers nine copies of himself into different bio units. And this basically kind of reminds me of the Emperor and, like, the clone bodies he has in Dark Empire. It's basically like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter if I died in Return of the Jedi. I just used my, my dark side powers to upload my true essence into a clone body. But in this case, it's it's like there are ten bio units out there, and only one of the ten is, or I guess there's the nine bio units, and there's the one real version of him. So so the, the idea is only one of the ten is the original Dogati, and then he basically sets the base on self-destruct. And of course, everybody's like, are you mad? You know, you're going to kill all your own people. And at this point, you know, as we've mentioned, he, he's menacing and looks looks evil for a reason. So he, he doesn't give a shit, and he's going to blow up the entire base. You know, even, even the people that serve him are very kind of blind, like, in that sense. They have a blind loyalty where they, they're like, oh, yes, it would be an honor to get blown up for for." Dogati, you know, which is kind of like, okay, wow, you know. 
if you say so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, all right, whatever. Kinkato basically goes off to try and stop the reactor core from from exploding, and the the big denouement of the whole thing. I mean, obviously, it's way more tense than I make it sound. I mean, he's he's trying to fight off all these mobile suits, which you know I thought was kind of crazy. It's like, why are you trying to stop this guy? He's trying to stop the fucking base from exploding that you're in, you know, but you're fighting him off. So it's like, these people are fucking dumb. But anyway, he, he desperately tries to fight through it, and, and he, he gets there just a scotch too late, but they're all still alive, and we find out that luckily Bernadette has the passcode, and she stops the countdown. And, and they kind of make a big deal, because they've, they've obviously captured a lot of military officers and officials when they, when they you know, basically, you know, took the base. And even all the military officials are like, well, only somebody extremely close to Crux Dogati would even know. And ever since his wife died, like, who could that be? Like, none of us know the passcodes. And, you know, when Bernadette enters the passcode, it's like you see the head of the, the Deathlock Doombot cyborg, where it's like still kind of click, 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 you know, active and everything. And it refers to her as Titentith Dogati. So I guess Titentith is the the real name, you know, it's like, instead of Audrey Burns, it's like Minerva Zabi, you know, basically coming to the forefront and, and revealing herself and stuff like that. So, so that, that trope definitely comes to pass in this, you know, I mean, that, that, that reminded me a good deal of, you know, obviously it's fresh in our minds because we've recently watched it and discussed it, but yeah, Gundam Unicorn was at the forefront of my mind when, when that reveal occurred. That definitely, yeah, like occurred to me as well. What, what's uh, what's what's her face's name? Not um, Lacus, the the silly blonde girl who ends up with Atherin. Kagali. Kagali, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways it's a little it's a little Kagali esque, like the way she's always like sneaking on board ships and doing that kind of stuff too. But you know, there, there's that that aspect and everything. Here, I guess the I guess the last ditch effort of Dogati is he launches this Death Sphere vessel, which basically like all that poison that they were trying to send to the planet Earth from before. I guess is, they're all in these giant ball capsules on this ship, and basically that ship is I guess headed for Earth. So I guess our heroes have to, you know, stop it. What, what's interesting at this point is. Burns joins up with Professor Karras, so we've got Romber Rawl teaming up with the Court of Owls guy. And then they're introduced to all these new team members, which basically, I guess, Burns becomes part of this team. You know, it's like the Black Tri-Stars, I guess, but it's, it's called the Death Gale team. And so there's this kind of, like, I guess if you look at, some of the, the color pictures of it, since we're reading the manga, it's all black and white, and you know how I love that, but there are some awesome color pictures, I guess, based on some of the, I think it's like the Mobile Suit Generations games or something like that, and so one of the members of the team is this hottie, and her name is Rosemary Raspberry, and of course, she kind of has, I mean, you know, ostensibly, she kind of has raspberry colored hair you know like that's if you look at a picture of her in color but yeah she she looks like one of these like kind of kind of hottie chicks where you know it's like oh hey you're in a spacesuit and you're gonna zip it down a little bit and be all like hot and bothered kind of you know that's the kind of chick she is i guess and she's kind of a mercenary like she's 
she's uh, pretty much in it for the money, you know, like that kind of thing. But she's one of the kind of dangerous and raunchy team members of the Death Gale team. And then there is, you, you know, it's funny. This is the case where, damn it, Japan, like, I didn't know this was a boy. But, yeah, uh, me neither. This is this is Giri Gaduchia Aspis. And Giri, basically, like, I was looking at Giri, and I, I kind of thought it was a girl, and then I looked at, like, some of the color pictures that I was telling you guys about, and I still fucking thought it was a girl. But it's it's a boy. It's like one of Professor Karras's, like, prided pupils, basically. Like, he's he's supposed to be, like, the the super new type, like, you know, Sum cum loud of, of of the new type Jupiter Empire crew or whatever you know so and he's it's it's like one of these odd things where Burns is like yeah I'm like uh you know I'm Jonathan Frakes uh, you know want an action figure of me and 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 Burns is basically like why am I gonna follow Wesley Crusher into battle and it's like no no Wesley's awesome we swear you know and it's like <laughs> okay whatever dude whatever. The Mother Vanguard crew, in the meantime, it, you know, it's like they, they kind of have this, like, mini trial for, for Bernadette or, or Titentith, Dogati. Barra forces them all, like, look, if anybody, you know, comes after her, it's like, you know, basically, if anybody's accusing her of betraying us, it's like accusing me of betraying us. So she kind of she squashes that for the most part, but, but they do keep her locked up, like, so that, that the crew doesn't totally, like become mutinous, basically. Tobia kind of had planned the whole time that if things didn't kind of go in a nice way, that he would have escaped with her. So, again, that totally reminded me of Benajer and Audrey, you know, where it's like, oh, you know, Benajer's all about, you know, protecting Audrey for the most part, you know, like that That seemed to be his his primary goal or his his primary you know if you if you wanted to weigh his responsibilities like that takes top priority over everything else and in this case you you kind of learn like oh tobia had the whole ship wired to explode basically like if if things went if things went a bad way at this little mini informal trial for her and everything like he was gonna he was gonna bust out with her and they were gonna go off and you know i don't know make babies together somewhere or whatever they were gonna do but you know I mean, at this point, like we said before, Zabine kind of shows his true colors. Like, he takes Bernadette hostage. And, like, it's it's one of those, like, facile plans, you know? Like, I, 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 I don't know. Like, it's like, I, I understand some of his points of view, but, like, this plan is, like, one of the... It, it's kind of like those plans, like, where it's like, Haha, I will release this really big bad evil into the world and we will team up together and we will rule. And it's kind of like why why do you think that evil's not just going to wipe you off the face of the earth too? You know what I mean? I mean it's like it's like one of those things where you're like, did you think this through the whole way? Cuz like his plan is basically like I'm going to take Bernadette hostage. I'm going to surrender the Mother Vanguard to the Jupiter Empire and we're going to somehow like restore the aristocracy because the Jupiter Empire already has a society in place that supports aristocracy, but I will keep Barrona alive and then install her as the new power of the Jupiter Empire. And it's like, 
I don't know, man. That's a lot of ifs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm like, that's a lot of ifs, man. Like, and and so I was like, I don't, I don't know. It, that it you doesn't seem like through. the best plan. No, I was kind of yeah. like, really, like Zabine, like you couldn't wait, like, like you didn't have anything better than this. Like, I, I was yeah. I I don't know. I just you know, and and then and then it cracked me up because it's like as he's like running off with her, Tobia. I, I this, this is my you know love of Camille or whatever. But I was like, Tobia pulls a Camille and headbutts Zabine. You know, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. He's like, Tobia's a man's name, and I'm a man. You know, and it's like he headbutts him and shit. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like that that I enjoyed that scene and everything. <laughs> Like, Zabine could have been, like, my favorite character from this series. Like, he could have been, because he kind of fit that archetype of, like, the the rival ace guy or whatever. But then he, he turns into a total ass clown, like, as of this volume, where, like, first of all, like, I didn't trust him to begin with. But th- then, yeah, like, he had such a weak plan, and then he, he totally, like, he, he gets his owned by Tobia. So, yeah. Like, I thought he, like, he, he could have been, like, you know... It, like it started off like he was looking like Zex Marquis or like Gramacre or something, but in the end he only turned out to be like Jared or or like. No, yes. who's who am I thinking of? Damn it! Who 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 did we talk about in Unicorn? Who was Benajer's rival? Angelo or no frontal? But, oh, uh, no, no. Uh, Riddy. Riddy, Riddy. Like it's like it's like he went from being like a like you said like a a Zex or a Char to being a, a Ensign Reddy, you know, like where you're like, he just kind of lost it, you know? And it's like, he, he, I mean, he, I, I, I think at this point he has, I mean, you, you make it sound pretty bad at this point, but I don't even think he's quite hit rock bottom yet. You know what yeah, I mean? No, like, he hasn't. Yep. It, it gets, it gets worse than this basically. It's the same thing with like Reddy where you're kind of like, like where he, he says like, he's like, he's going to keep Barra and like install her. And I'm like, dude, can't you see she's just not that in to you like like man like holy crap dude you, you know what you know what it reminds me of is when I, I i i listen to like certain podcasts and everything and they they talk about game of thrones and everything and that guy um what's his name Ju, whatever on game the, the one that's all into uh um daenerys uh oh jorah Jorah, you know, and they're like, man, you know, Jorah in the friend zone, you know, like, yeah. and that's what, that's what this feels like. It's like, it's like basically, you know, Zabine is totally in the friend zone, you know, he's been friend zoned and like, he's like, you got to get over that dude. Like, it, it, it's like, I think dudes feel bad for guys who get friend zoned, but then there's, there's like a point of execution, like a point of stay where you're like, all right, you, you knew you were in the friend zone for long enough. Like you got to you gotta break that, you know, fight through that shit now, you know? Yeah, like, after, after, it, yeah, after a certain you point... You, it, can't, you can't stay in the yeah, friend zone. It just becomes creepy after a certain yeah. point, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and I, I, I can appreciate that. I, I Unfortunately, I've been on both ends of that, so... <laughs> yeah, so like, like, you know, we speak so, from experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we get it, we get it. And then, and then at this point, like, the, basically, the, you know, the, the Mother Vanguard is, is under attack and everything, and we get the first... You know, Zabine versus Kinkato, you know, X2 versus X1, you know, scene and everything. And you you think it's probably going to be a pretty cool fight, but fairly quickly they get interrupted by the Death Gale Squadron. So this I had to write down because, you know me, I'm terrible with mobile suits, but it's the EMS VX or VSX2 Abijo, the EMS VSX1 
Quavars, the EMS VX X3 Totuga. So the, these are kind of like they, they reminded me of like the Cubelay. Like they're they're these kind of I don't know Neo Genesis looking you know mobile suits kind of I guess I don't know what was like you, you got to help me out with the mobile suit stuff. Like what was your what was your take on the Death Gale Squadron? And they were cool. Like I I don't know. It's like if if it's not a Gundam, like sometimes, uh, like they all kind of blend together. Like I feel like sometimes, but I don't know. Like I, I thought they all like. I think the the one that Burns piloted made the like biggest impression, obviously, because it was the biggest and it was like black colored and it was bulky and stuff. So that that was the one I immediately like remembered. Yeah, and then, yeah, then there's the one with the yo-yos. Basically, I I I, I mentioned I made a note to like remember that it had like the weird like buzzsaw yo-yos or whatever. Oh, okay, okay, and that's that's the the raspberry chick. I yeah, think. and then and then then there's the one the girl boy kid, yeah, <laughs> whatever pilots, yeah, Geary, which actually I felt was like the least memorable one. So I I don't know. I remembered that because I kept thinking it was like like the Scorpion mobile suit or something, because it had that weird, like, tail thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything, like, I, I, I don't know that I, you know, you know what, I mean, I, I, I'll probably get into this more when we do our final thoughts, but I, I think part of my trouble with this is sometimes the the fights, I mean, it's not so much that I want to gloss over the fights and have you read them yourselves because they're so awesome. It's like, I, I think... If this had been animated, which I'm sure a bunch of fans are like, oh, yes, that would be so awesome. Like, I could follow a lot of the fights better. Like, it's just something with, you know, translation, the fact that you have to read it from right to left. Like, I think I'm just so trained to read from left to right. I screw up the pace sometimes for myself, unless it's, like, really, really engrossing. And, you know, sometimes I don't always follow the fight and it doesn't always register or come across as cool as I think it should be. And I think if I saw it animated, I think if somebody did the thinking for me and, you know, made my head turn the right way, <laughs> then maybe it'd be cooler. But sometimes I just, I can't help myself. It's like I'm, I'm reading panel two and four before I read one and three and I just can't help myself, you know, and it, it, it sort of fucks things up sometimes, but yeah, I get you. No, I definitely, like, I, I had to, like, re-look at some things to figure out what had just happened, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I think my 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 instinct is, you know, I, I like to read fights quickly, you know, and then, and then sometimes I go through so quick, and I was like, wait, who severed X-1's arms? Like, what happened? You know, and I had to go back again and be like, oh, okay, I see. They, you know, the, the like you described, the yo-yo, the buzzsaw thing. You know that the the you know the hottie raspberry chick has like that those those basically sawed off the X one's arms. So of course you know you've got Kinkato you know being a badass you know taking on three suits with one Gundam, but he's armless. You know, and then and then the other thing too is like and this could be just something. One of my notes is the dude Ronum, who is a member of the Crossbone Vanguard. He's a dude with glasses. He gets himself in between this battle, you know, trying to help out Kinkato and stuff like that, and he gets killed. To be perfectly honest, like, it's like he's a named redshirt to me. Like, I was like, I totally don't remember him being important until that scene. 
Yeah, I think he did show up at some point beforehand because I remembered him. I'm sure he but, was yeah, there, but he but... didn't. Obviously, he did not make a, as much of an impression. As, yeah, I mean, like, he yeah. he didn't he didn't really register to me. I just took a note, like, okay, this guy made a sacrifice, and you know, it kind of got you know, Kinkato all. <laughs> he was like glasses was... guy. No, yeah, it's like, no, you know. But you're just like, who are you again? <laughs> like, what, what, what? You know, so so yeah. Th- I mean, basically, the the wrap up for volume three is this this. You know, I, I guess it's a fairly cool three on one battle. Despite my, I, I'm going to just say it's my personal shortcomings. I think if this was animated, it'd probably be a pretty kick ass fight between you know this this three on one fight, probably reminiscent of you know Amuro, you know, in the RX seventy eight taking on the Black Tristars, kind of. But yeah. imagine if, if, if the RX ninety eight was like armless and shit and, and it's still a cool fight and everything. This this is something that maybe I need to discuss with you too, because I sort of didn't follow what the logic was with this, but they call back to the fact that Tobia set up all these explosives on the Mother Vanguard in case that little trial with Bernadette didn't go his way. And so Kinkato, I guess, is no dummy, and he, he knew about it, so he brings it up to Tobia again, and, he, and Tobia wants to help him, but he says, no, 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 don't come and help me in the fight, but I know about these explosives, like, you know, let, let's use them to our advantage, and and I think even Tobia's like, well, what the fuck do you mean, and, like, I, I don't know, I have to ask you, because, like, the way I followed it was, like, they detached one of the main sails with the explosives and then the sail sort of like stops the enemy somehow. I don't, I, I didn't really understand. I think understand. it like crashes into the enemy ship and sinks it somehow. Yeah. Okay. See what I didn't get was I was like, do they have more than one ship? Cause it's like, I didn't, I didn't get like, like it's like, okay, it's a self-sacrifice. Like I'll cut off my sail to sink the enemy ship. But then I'm kind of like, but Professor Kale is still there, and he 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 kidnaps Bernadette, right? So where is he going to go if the ship is sunk? Because clearly he he takes her back. You know, like that's yeah. how the volume three ends. It's like Professor Kale sneaks on to the bridge and he takes Bernadette from Zabine and 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 the whole bridge crew and all this other stuff. And then it's like, and then Toby is like, you know, Bernadette, you know, and whatever, and, and goes after them. And then, and then basically for, as a thank you for his efforts, like he gets a grenade to the mobile suit face and, and, you know, they're, they're kind of like screwed and stuff. And you don't know, it's like, is, is Tobia okay? Like what happens next time on mobile suit Gundam Crossbone Z? You know, like that's, that's basically where we leave off with that. But I, I did kind of want to discuss like, I don't know. I just I, I figured if 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 they if they stopped the ship, then where did Professor Kale go to to get away? Like unless there was another ship. Um, I think that actually happens in the start of Volume Four. What I think happened was like, and it, it's kind of a cutaway because Tobia opens like the cockpit of his mobile suit and like. Professor, the professor is right there, and he shoots Tobia. So, like, I assumed he just stole the mobile suit that like Tobia had, and like, you okay, know, yeah. okay, and then used that to go back. Yeah, to, exactly, to and whatever flew all the way back home, or okay, or, yeah, okay. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Volume Four uh, in a few minutes. 
But, I mean, that, that basically wraps things up for this first half of our Mobile Suit Mondays. I think what I'm going to do is play a trailer for a podcast that I like listening to here. And then when we pick up, we will finish off talking about volumes 4, 5, and 6 of Mobile Suit Crossbone Gundam. Here at Quark's, customer satisfaction is our primary concern. I'd say we just found our way into a wormhole. I'm Kira Norris. Lieutenant Commander Worf reporting for duty, sir. You're the best crew any captain ever had. This may be the last time we're all together. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. It is quite simply, Commander, the journey you have always been destined to take. Sensors are not functioning. You've lost all contact with the space station. What is happening out there? Shields up. Damage report. Planet stations. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine Two True Freaks presentation with Sean Engel and Andrew Leyland. And now with 100% more Paul Spataro. Hey guys, welcome back from that awesome commercial break. So we are back discussing Gundam the Crossbone manga. We were before talking about the first three volumes, and now in the second half we're going to wrap it up, and we're going to be discussing volumes four through six, which completes the whole series and everything. So I guess getting back into it, the volume four begins with Time of Imprisonment. That's the first title of one of the chapters in there. And Tobia here ends up getting shot and captured and he's actually sentenced to death by the Jupiter Empire. I know, I know. In the in in this volume, like Bernadette or or Tententith confronts her her quote unquote fathers because now we you know we've seen that he's got all these like clone emperor bodies or whatever and stuff like that. So it's like she's coming in. She doesn't even know which which father that she's yelling at is, is like her real father and stuff like that. I know Zabine at this point is being tortured by the, the death gale chicks or whatever, like, even though they're not all chicks, but you know, it's like there, there's the, you know, the one guy who we were like, is that a girl or a guy? So yeah, he basically, they, they are all kind of like torturing him. So I guess that's his thanks for, for being such a stand-up guy and, and turning over his crew and everything, you know, the Mother Vanguard crew to to the Jupiter Empire and stuff like that. His thanks is to be given the the Han Solo and Empire Strikes Back treatment, or I guess like the the Captain America Winter Soldier Bucky treatment. It's like we're gonna torture you until you're our you know mindless killing zombie machine and stuff like that, and then. Basically, th this is a pretty cool sequence. Like, I enjoyed this sequence. Like, Tobia's execution, basically, is going to be in public. And, it, you know, basically, like, you will be publicly executed. And, like, when they first said that, I think my thought was, like, they were going to, you know, just stick him up in front of, like, a firing squad or, you know, crucify him or, you know, ba basically something where he had literally no control over his environment, you know, he's just going to be brought in front, you know, you know, given the cyanide capsule, like whatever you, whatever you can come up with. I, I thought it was going to be a case where 
he, he had no control over the situation. But instead, it's actually this kind of gladiatorial game arena. So it's like he goes to War World or he goes to Planet Hulk or whatever it is, right? And so then it twists it yet again because Toby is like, oh, okay, so now I'm... And, and as a reader, you're like, okay, well, now he's going to fight some dudes. Okay, like, I guess that makes sense. So he goes out there and he's all ready to fight. And then all of a sudden, then the, the other mega twist is that his opponent is actually the Crossbone X2. Like, so it's like, wait, what? Like, that, you know, it's like, that's not fucking fair. Like, fair. you know, like, like, come on, man. This is ridiculous. You know, like... Who like, does he think he getting... is? Garrett Rand? You know? <laughs> he, does, he just needs a grappling hook, and he can take that thing down. He yeah, well... Do what, friggin', what, what friggin' AT-AT walker thing, just run around in a circle around it. I don't know. Well, it's like, imagine you go out there, you're like, I got my wooden sword, I got my trash can lid, I'm ready to fight you motherfuckers. And then all of a sudden it's like, what? You, a big AT-AT shows up and you're like, come on! Like, <laughs> this is not cool. But, like, he, he totally does pull, like, this this Garrett Rand, you know, Batman bullshit. Because it's like, it's like, Tobia versus X2. And it's like, Basically, like, the, the person that's piloting the X-2 is one of the Death Gale squad. It's Rosemary Raspberry, you know, the, the purple-haired hottie or pink-haired hottie or whatever. And, like, basically, like, he, he, since he knows all the in and outs of, of that mobile suit, like, he's basically able to repeatedly shoot it with machine gun fire in the same spot, and that basically unlocks the... It's basically like dummy balloons, like where they would like, you know, shoot off like balloons that look like mobile suits to draw people's fire. But I mean, essentially, it's kind of like somebody like basically like triggering the airbags in a car to fuck somebody up. It's like if I, you know, it's like, say somebody's got me at gunpoint and I'm riding shotgun with them in my own car and they're like, ha 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 ha, I will totally destroy you, Derek. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then like I headbutt my car in just the right place and like the airbag pops up and fucks the other guy up or whatever. Like that's kind of what's going on here. Like basically like, you know, Rosemary gets screwed up because the the, the airbags basically block the camera and it's like he pops them, and they're they're they go over the head, and she can't see out of the Gundam, and she's like, "What?" And then she exits the cockpit, and then of course, like the the big bads and the bosses, the Jupiter Empire people, are like, "What?" You know, I imagine it's a guy from like the the Gundam dub. Like, can you see that guy saying the line where he's like, "What?" Don't exit that cockpit! <laughs> you know, General like a, Septum? Yeah, yeah, it's like General Septum's like, What are you doing? <laughs> you know, don't get out of that cockpit! <laughs> don't get you out know? of the mobile suit! Like, are you making fun of me, damn it? Again. You know, and of course she, she gets out of the mobile suit, and then of course, you know, he, he basically, like, you know, throws her ass out of the, the X2, and then now he's commandeered the X2. So, like... Tobia, I think it's it's like one of those things like Tobia's that for me, it's like he's that lead protagonist in a Gundam where you're like, what? Who's this new kid? Who the fuck is he? And then he does a bunch of cool shit throughout the course of this, the, the, the manga or the series or whatever. And by this point, like, I'm kind of like, yeah, fucking A, like, Tobia's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, he fucked her shit up. Like, this is awesome. So, like, I, I, I was kind of on board by this point, you know, despite any kind of hesitance where you're like, oh, who's this new kid? Like, what, what, why is he so special? But it's like, by this point, I'm, I'm pretty much on board with, with him as a character and a lead protagonist and everything like that. 
And so he ends up grabbing Bernadette, and then they basically are going to escape from the, the Jupiter Empire and everything. It, it's interesting because you're, you're sort of led to believe that they're escaping in the, the X-2, but I guess what they do is they use it more as a, you know, the twist is they, again, use it as a decoy. So it seems like all these different people are off following the X-2, and then it turns out that Burns, or Barnes, depending on you know which translation you go with, basically, but he, he figures out, he's like, wait, you know, the, nobody's in the Gundam, you know, or whatever, and so it's a decoy. And he ends up locating Tobia and Bernadette. And, I mean, it's kind of like Bernadette ends up agreeing to stay behind so Tobia can can take off. I mean, it, it, I guess it's not quite as easy as that. Like, he does kind of say, no, you've got to go with me. And, you know, she's like, no, it's okay. I can stay behind. And, you know, Barnes is like, I could just take you guys all. You know, I could capture you all. But, you know, it, it, it's more like he's willing to sort of let Tobia slide, too, as long as he can bring back, like, the, you know, basically bring back the princess, basically. The, the princess, so yeah. So. She, I can't let her go. Like, I, I could probably, you know, get away with letting you go, but not her, yeah. Yeah, so so that's that, that's kind of where his head's at. And then, you know, so then, you know, basically Bernadette kind of convinces Tobia, like, look, it's okay, I'll stay behind. And then, you know, Tobia gets a kiss, and, you know, Barnes agrees to let him go, but he, I, I think it's also because he's got a soft spot for him because he... He reminds him of the the son that he lost. So in that sense, like he's kind of it, it's like he's sort of doing his dead son a solid, or or I guess there's some kind of sentimentality there, you know, that that extends to to Tobia and stuff like that. And then this is the this is the point where it's like they say like, oh, you know, this is this is impossible. Like, how could this happen? How can this be? Because I guess you know, Tobia basically takes off in a core fighter and and you know part of the reason why somebody like Burns can let Tobia escape is they can go oh well what's this kid going to do on a core fighter like who's he going to find he'll run out of fuel he'll you know he'll basically die without enough oxygen like who's going to find him how can he possibly you know calculate you know where to go to or who can pick him up and everything but you know, in in Toby's mind, he thought it was pretty simple. Like he's just calculating where the mother vanguard was headed, and he's counting on them being in that trajectory. I think later on they kind of hint at the idea that, or, or they straight up say, you know, like this is because he's a new type. You know, like yeah. anybody else who who tried to do something of this nature. You know, like even if it was like say, you know, if it was Batman. You know, like even Batman couldn't calculate this. It's like you had to be you know, a new type level, you know, and, and have space, those kind of... Yeah, space is a pretty big place, so it's like... Yeah, uh, it's yeah. Like pretty infinitesimal chance that you could locate, you know, a certain person in, a, you know, even a ship in that huge area. So, yeah, uh, but and, and, and I guess the, the ultimate outcome, though, is against all odds, the Mother Vanguard does pick up Tobias core fighter. And then we, we continue on with Volume 4... And I kind of, in my notes, I jokingly call her cousin Sherry, but it's Sheridan. And Sheridan basically is the cousin to Barrarona or Cecily. And so it, it, I guess she's kind of the, 
the remnants of the the original aristocracy, I would say. You know, like, she's still sort of treated that way, like, you know, that she's royalty and everybody kind of bows down to her authority and wishes and everything like that. And so the reason why she comes to the Mother Vanguard is she's trying to, I guess, be a a third party and convince her to stop fighting with the Jupiter empire. And, and, you know, it's under the pretense that she's going to let them restock and resupply. So they of course invite her on because they want all these new supplies and they need to restock and get fuel and ammo and food and all this other kind of stuff. And in the meantime, it's kind of like she's using these supplies, you know, she's withholding them as leverage so she can have this kind of like, I don't know, this, this, it's kind of like this Captain Picard sit down, you know, like where it's like we will talk and discuss and you know <laughs> like that. that yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's like that, but it, it's sort of it's it's a bit more forceful than than that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like it, it'd be like you know, it, it, it's kind of like where you know Picard's like turn off the monitor, like uh, we're not going to send you any more skittles, you know. Number one, cut them off, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and it's very. You know, it, 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 you, you'd think, you know, it's like, oh, it's her, it's her family, and you'd think that they would be coming to help, but in reality, they're sort of playing all the angles for their own ends. And at this particular point, you know, like, she has her own agenda. You know, she's, she's trying to get it so that the Mother Vanguard stops fighting with the Jupiter Empire. She's also already kind of aware of Tobia's new type potential, you know, so she kind of wants to recruit him you know, into her, her camp, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of, you know, she's, she's making these kind of Darth Vader overtures, you know, like, come join me, come, come hang out in my camp, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and what, what ends up ultimately happening is she ends up calling the Federation in to, you know, basically take, take them captive, pretty much. So then, then we get, I guess, what is the really cool segment, which is, you know, basically the fight between Crossbone Gundam and Federation, you know, an F-91 Gundam. So there's the sort of callback to the old series. But of course, you know, I, I guess the, the Federation here is not super well developed. I mean, obviously our lead character is, you know, Tobia. And then beyond that, you know, you've got the Sea Book, you know, so it's like they're, they're, those are the characters you're mainly relating to so the the federation here like they're either cannon fodder and then there's the one guy who who pilots the f91 and it's like he he seems like a pretty solid dude harris harrison yeah he, he seems like a pretty solid dude as the series progresses but i mean at this point in time it's like he's just another guy you know marching to the beat of the drum i guess of the federation so it, it's not like you are i i guess if if he were to have gotten blown away in this in this volume, I wouldn't have been, like, losing any sleep over it, you know? It's like, these Federation guys seem pretty much along the lines of the Federation that we saw on F-91. Like, they're they're not very, I mean, at least from my perspective, they're not very likable individuals or anything like that. I mean, they don't seem quite as incompetent as the the guys in (laughs) F-91. They're not like, we can use the children as shields. (laughs) Right, right. They're, They're not quite that bad, but, I mean, they are... They, they they are certainly on autopilot, you know. They're just kind of going along with the the regular program as opposed to you know kind of thinking for themselves. So eventually, the Mother Vanguard is forced to surrender to the the Federation ships. 
And even though that happens, th- this is another point where they kind of use Zabine to their own ends. And so now he shows up in the X2, and then he takes out one of the Federation ships. So that kind of, I mean, basically, it, it's all part of the Jupiter Empire's machinations. It's like making, you know, to, to, to the Federation, it looks like another one of the pirate ships has attacked them. So even though you've got Cecily Barrona sitting there going, okay, we, we surrender, we're putting up the white flag, and in the middle of her putting up the white flag, Zabine blows up one of their ships. So then it kind of erupts into this all-out battle. The Jupiter Empire now decides to show up, basically. So so they're kind of like, oh, yes, we will gladly help you wipe out this pirate scum, you know, like Federation people. You know, we will get rid of, I think they call them like the space trash of the galaxy or something like that. So, And, and this is, you know, again, like I said, I enjoyed the fight between F-91 and X-2 and stuff. I mean, what, did, what was your take on, I mean, were you looking forward to that? Because, I mean, it's pretty clearly spelled out with, like, the titles and stuff like that. Is that something where you're like, yeah, this is going yeah, to kick that, ass? I thought that was a pretty nice touch. Harrison is kind of falls into that, like, sort of enemy ace mold that I like. So, like, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, this guy could be pretty cool. And I, I like the moment when, when the, the Federation shows up and Kinkato kind of watches the F-91, like, fly by, and he's like, oh, how nostalgic. Like, that, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, because he's got his own memories about being the pilot of the F-91 himself, yeah, so that's, I mean, I, it, it's interesting, it's also kind of like this weird callback, it's like when, when somebody gets like a new suit in like a comic book or a, a fantasy sci-fi type property, it's like the the, the new suit guy versus the, the quote-unquote evil version of him in his old costume kind of thing, so there's that kind of aspect to it going on as well. I like the bit where I think it's towards the end of the fight where Kinkato blocks like the F ninety one's beam with like three layers of like beam basically. Like he throws his beam shields in front of him and then he takes his beam saber out and it like hits both beam shields and he deflects the remnants of the blast with his saber and the guy's like, Holy crap, that dude's awesome <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. And then, of course, we've got the, the age-old, you know, Gundam Seed, you know, Comics Code approved C-Book. C- uh, Kinkato <laughs> is not going to kill anyone. So, luckily, Harrison, you know, will live to fight another day and everything. Because he does, I mean, ultimately, he defeats the F-91 and goes after, like, the other Jupiter Empire mobile suits. But that character is not, you know, wiped off the, the face of the Earth or anything like that. Tobia, in the meantime, is overhearing that that. Bernadette is going to be the one heading out to fight the pirates. And this is, I had to write this down so I'd remember what the, the mobile suit is. But, it, I mean, I, I guess it's one of these similar tropes where the, the bad guys have these kind of Xeon mobile-looking suits with the, the, the cycloptic eye and the kind of, I, I don't know. It, basically, the suit is the EMA-06 Elagolgia. So I, I, I don't know how to describe it other than it, it kind of reminded me of like that kind of atypical, you know, oh, mobile it's a little armor, girl. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a little girl in giant mobile armor type thing. And, and in this case, like, it's not that she's like an evil bitch and she's betraying Tobia or anything like that. It's that, you know, she's being used as a figurehead. So they're basically sticking her inside the mobile suit. But actually, it's this ploy by you know, the emperor, basically, her father, and, and she's not actually in control of the suit, 
but she's just being used as like this political symbol, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I don't really care if you live or die, but if you died, it might actually work out better for me, you know, I don't really care what happens to you. And at that point, you're kind of like, this guy's kind of a... A jerk. <laughs> kind of a fuck, fuck nuts, you know, yeah. like, I mean, he just, I'm, I don't know, it's just like one of those things where it's like, that's his blood, and he just, I mean, at this point, like, he's so removed from... I don't know, any, uh, uh, you know, there, there's the point where you're like, yeah, sometimes compassion and emotions and things can be your undoing, but, like, this is this is so far removed from any compassion or any emotion whatsoever. Yeah. It's just, it just seems like he's got no soul, you know, like, where he's just going to send, basically, his, his, his only daughter off to die just because, like, because it'll, you know, it'll work out better for him, he thinks, you know, like, it, it, it basically because it's less complication for him, you know, like, that's, that's the ultimate reason, that's the, that's the logical rationale, it's like, if you just, if you would just go away and be a martyr, everything would be less complicated, you know, instead of you constantly standing up to me and all my little clone bodies, you know, and, and, and giving me grief all the time, and, you know, that's kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, I, I, I mean that. To, if you didn't already think he was a evil son of a bitch, like I think this is the point where you you're supposed to be like that. That's the non-subtle moment where you're yeah, supposed to hate yeah, you like, oh. and be like, look, this guy is a bad guy. There's also this basically like Tobia is is trying to be kept out of the battle at this point. Like even though he he's concerned for Bernadette at this point. And there's this kind of, you know, another one of these kind of atypical Gundam political discussions about isolationism, you know, between Tobia and, you know, who I like to call Cousin Cherry, you know, and, and, and you know, and, and, and her, her end goal is basically just like, oh, I want, you know, I want, a, I, I think she wants a companion in a way, you know, like, and she kind of wants to, I guess, have more people of her own kind, and I think she considers herself a new type as well. So she's, I, I guess her goal is, you know, it, it's it's a bit like a Magneto-type syndrome, you know, it's like, we're going to bring all the mutants together, and we're going to be superior and stuff like that. And I, I don't think Tobia ever sees himself that way. You know, he's more the live-the-dream Professor X style, you know, where he's like, well, we're going to we're going to fight for people who are good and stop people who are bad. And, you know, I don't even consider myself anything other than human, you know. So that's that's kind of where he's coming from. And then, of course, I, I thought it was funny where, you know, I, I laugh my ass off. Where's the, the, the splash where he, he punches her out or whatever. <laughs> yeah, know, like, like, holy crap, dude. Like, I'm like, I'm like that's, it's like basically it's like, that that's the point where I'm like Camille's a man's name and I'm a man and I bitch I bitch smack little girls you know that's this is I guess that's his Hank Pym moment you know where he's, he's I, like, I was thinking nobody puts Toby in a corner <laughs> yeah uh, nobody puts baby in a corner but yeah I mean it's funny like it's basically like I think the end result is if you if you're not willing to listen to my point of view I'm going to hate you. I'm gonna hit you hard. I like he uh, he cuts himself and like sort of like dribbles blood like like in like, like obviously he's trying to make the point that we're still you know he he doesn't say like I like the scene it doesn't say anything like there's no dialogue but he like cuts himself and he kind of dribbles some blood in front of her and then she like touches the blood on her mouth and like he's kind of trying to say you know we're both human like 
stop like all this BS about we're above humanity. Right, right. We, we yeah. If you know, are we not a rose by any other name? Yeah. If prick us, do we not bleed? Yada yada yada. Yeah, we're all we're all frail and and uh, fleeting is is life. You know. So yeah, there's definitely all that kind of stuff that that is something that's not so subtly hitting you over the head with, with that kind of uh, notion, even though, like you said, there's not, there's not any dialogue at that point in the scene. And basically, I mean, that, that kind of is, is the conclusion of a volume four. And, and at the, you know, the end of that, you know, Tobia basically takes out the, the latest version of the Gundam, which is the X three. And he takes that out so he can head off to save Bernadette conceivably. So that's basically how we, we wrap up, Volume 4. So how's the F-91? Can you handle it? I'll manage. Oh no! The pilots that just killed them, they're dead. They're dead. Volume 5 is opening up where... We find out from Kinkato slash Seabook that Cecily has actually set the Mother Vanguard to self-destruct. And then it looks like the Jupiter Empire, like, you know, of course they've converted Zabine. Like, he's he's been given, like we said, the, the Winter Soldier torture treatment and all that kind of stuff. But I think one of the carrots they they put in front of Zabine was like, well, you know, you're going to get to be the one who finishes off Seabook, you know, like you're going to finish off Kinkato and stuff. And, and that was the carrot that basically he's like, finally, like we will, we will finish our rivalry once and for all, you know, that kind of thing. Tobia basically at this point is, you know, he, he arrives in his X3 suit and he's finding that it's weird. It's, it's not like, other Gundam kind of tropes, I guess, in this sense. It's not like, you know, it's like Lala was kind of on board with Char, and then you have the people like Peru and Peru 2, or, or, or even Fa, you know, like, or, you know, where they're like all, like, mentally controlled and stuff, like they're literally tortured oh, and stuff. Oh, you mean like 4? Four? 4, yeah, 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 my bad. But like, like when they're all like, you know, they're, they're, they're mentally you know, zombified or, or, or kind of, you know, there's some kind of painful process that's going on. And in this case, it's, it's all kind of like a facade. It's like, she's in the suit and in the suit, she's like, I don't want to fight. But like on the monitor screen, it's like, I will destroy all the enemies of the empire. You know, basically yeah. it's, it's, it's like, like this kind of, that's not me. Yeah. It's like, that's not me. I'm not saying those things. Like I'm not even, I'm trying to, like not push the buttons, but the buttons are moving on their own. Like I'm just stuck in here, you know. Like I can't really do anything. It's like you know, it's, the, the the suit is on autopilot, and and basically, you know, her father's the one that's you know mentally controlling the suit and stuff. I like the moment where where Tobia when he's in the X3, and and then the it's like basically there's that sword swing that comes down, and then he just grabs it and stuff because it's like you know he's kind of. He's kind of getting banged up at first because he doesn't want to hurt her. But then that's kind of where he swings into second gear and gets the whole, you know, round the two, you know, because it's like, all right, enough of this crap. I liked, yeah, I liked how the sort of like the X3's like shielding system works where 
you know, each, each, instead of like the beam shields that the X1 and the X2 have, the X3 has like eye field projectors, which deflect beams, but each, each one can only function for like a set amount of time. And then they have to like cool down. So he's kind of like trying to figure out, he's like, oh man, he's like, no matter which way I slice it, you know, I'm still going to have like a period of like 20 seconds where I can't defend. And then he's kind of, I like, he's like, who would design a prototype like this? Like, this is irresponsible. You you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of like, I'm trying to remember what the game was called, but I, I played that, that Gundam side story game on the Sega Dreamcast. Oh yeah. And, and I always remember like, you, you sort of always had to get the hang of like certain things where like, if you would use your, your your boosts or your jets or whatever and it's like if you if you got it to the point where your weapons or your jets were overheating you know it's like you you can't just randomly like zoom away at will you can't just randomly like shoot people at will it's like you you had to be calculated you know you had to be like oh boost 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 you know run to the side you know oh let me get my meter back up then i can boost 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 this way and the same thing with the weapons and stuff but that's that's kind of what that you know i mean you know basically that's that's kind of what you're describing in a way you know it's like he's yeah. he's trying to manage the the timetable and and use the suit to its utmost ability without basically making it you know, not getting caught and stuck in a situation where he's trying to use a capability where it's not able to meet that, you know, request, you know, based on his new type skills. And I I wasn't, I don't know if you got this or not. I wasn't quite sure because I, I I don't think I noticed it for like reading the rest of the story, but did like the safety finally on, like he's trying to struggle with the sword because he can't figure out how to make it work. And he like, he's like, this must be some kind of beam weapon, but like the safety finally unlocks on the sword and like unleashes like it's the beam blades on it. But I was like, wait, did the safety unlock because he had used up all his like eye field energy or like, I wasn't sure how it just randomly unlocked. I don't know. I, I, I didn't like, some sometimes like that's some of the stuff that I feel like I need to talk about like in in my closing thoughts. But like, th- I mean, just to get into it, it's like sometimes like when I'm reading the action in these scenes, and I, I think I probably mentioned it in this previous half where we talked about it too. But s- sometimes I do often get lost just because of the way, you know, I'm 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 so programmed to read. American comic style, you know, yeah. left to right. I, I want to see things in color, you know, I want to, you know, and, and, and sometimes like, I don't, I, I think the reason why I have those preferences and they're so strong is because they always, they always help me to understand details of the story. And, and sometimes I don't mean to, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to read this from right to left, but I sometimes I can't help myself, you know, I start on the left panel a lot, you know, and I don't, I just do it unconsciously without thinking, you know, and, and so in in just to that specific example that you're bringing up, like, I think I took it as like one of those like magic moments, do you know what I mean? Like, it was just one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm the lead character, it's time for me to unlock this, this beam, you know what I mean? Like, I I didn't think (laughs) it was... I mean, I, I I would chalk it up to like some kind of new type shenanigans or like just that that he's finally caught on, you know, type thing where it's like, oh, you know, uh, but I don't know that there was any specific moment where it's like I have now figured out 
you know, how to unlock it. And how to unlock it is to do up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. <laughs> you know, like, we didn't have that scene, but I think yeah. I think you're just supposed to infer that from the fact that he got it turned on. I mean, yeah. that that was my take on it, anyway. Yeah, I was just, I was, I was like, curious about that. I, I guess I gotta maybe look up the technical specs of the suit or something, but yeah, I was kind of yeah. like, wait, why did it, why did he finally, like, make it work? Like, okay. It's like, <laughs> plot armor! Yeah, literally. exactly. Tobia ends up taking out the that mobile armor that Bernadette is stuck inside and everything, and he actually, he, he manages to get Bernadette back. And so then the, the battle from there goes back to where we left off with Kinkato versus Zabine, and, like, it... I'm kind of surprised. Like, I guess, I guess what this kind of reminded me of is like the. I, I guess what this kind of reminded me of was the, like the mid battle between like Zex and Hero Yui because I I wasn't I guess I wasn't I was kind of expecting like Kinkato to kick his ass, but that's not actually what happens. You know, it's like it's like they they have a really kind of balls out fight and basically it almost is like that moment in seed where you're like holy shit did they just kill like the lead character even though like you know two episodes later you find out they didn't you know but (laughs) that's that's kind of what happens i mean i was kind of like didn't didn't he just like you know it's like he i think he sticks like the beam saber through the head of the x1 not the cockpit but still i was like holy crap like yeah like i mean it's like and then he's like basically just falling towards the planet and you know it's like he could conceivably just burn up and die you know uh, you know because they're 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 i think fighting now in the earth's atmosphere so conceivably he could just have burned up you know just going through re-entry or something like that i mean most people wouldn't have survived that so at the time you're like oh crap is he dead yeah i kind of i was like man like holy crap I, I was like, did they just kill Seabook? Like, I, I had the exact same thought when I first read this. I was like, oh, that's not, that's no good. Well, because I mean, at that point, you're kind of thinking like, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm on board with Tobia. So, I mean, if that was something, if that was a the direction they went in, you know, obviously spoilers, like he's not dead, but like, like that was something that kind of crossed my mind, where I was like, well, I guess, you know, I, I, I guess I'd keep. You know, I'd have to keep making like, do with, with was, who we had. Yeah, you know? it was like it was like a a Kamina moment or something where you're like, oh, well, the mentor character has to go now. So yeah, you know, yeah, your, yeah. Your, it your it young upstart can shine, basically. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have gone down that road. I mean, I mean, he basically loses the fight against Abine, and you, you know, basically, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, uh, you know, it looks like he's kind of dead and everything. And then the the mother vanguard, uh, you know, does the, you know, Star Trek Three Enterprise self destruct and everything. And then, uh, you know, Tobia and Bernadette end up landing on Earth for the first time. And then, you know, I guess we jump. It's it's not a big time jump. I think it's like 10 days. And then we pick up with them like 10 days later. It's like Tobia, Bernadette, and then Cecily have all been staying with this local lumberjack guy who I think... Did he have a name? I think they called him like Grandpa Bunch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I forgot. Like, kindly, yeah. Old, kindly old man. <laughs> he basically, you know, it's like Grandpa Lumberjack, basically, is who they were staying with, kind of. What's kind of funny is, after after all this machination and bullshit, 
It's like the Federation are like, you know, patting themselves on the back for, I guess, ending the, the space scum of the Crossbone Vanguard and everything. Then basically it's like, oh, hey, but by the way, like, wh- why is the Jupiter Empire all still here? And why you got a bunch of warships? And, <laughs> uh, you know, like, geez, you guys, wh- why are you still moving towards the Earth? Like, what's up with that? And it's like, kind of like, you know, they're like, you you should now go home and go back to Jupiter. And it's like, you know, basically, you know, Crux Dogati is basically like, no, you know, screw your Antarctic Treaty rules. You know, I'm going to attack you now. <laughs> You know, and, and how did we not see this coming? Like, I, I, yeah, I guess nobody, nobody saw that the the crazy, spindly, wiry old man with the raggedy white hair who like cackles you're, you're a lot. You're clearly evil, but I see no harm in trusting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sends his daughter into battle to die. Like, well, yeah, he 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 must be he must be a nice guy. So, yeah, so he basically is is you know breaking all kinds of you know political treaties and everything. And he basically plans to wipe out the Federation by having nuclear strikes enacted on the Earth. So then, then it, you know, the the story continues to pick up where that that member of the Death Gale Squad, Giri Gadushia or whatever, Gadushia, however, I don't know what G- G- androgynous boy or whatever, androgynous boy, Gadushia. I guess Aspis finds Tobia and the others on Earth, and so they're all captured and they're tied up in the lumberjack grandpa's like log cabin and stuff like that. And then, of course, if you if you totally love Double Zeta Gundam and Ewoks and Ewok shit, this is and you love monkeys, of course. This shit is totally for you because the the lumberjack grandpa has this pet monkey. Imagine like, well, no, it, it's like Chim from fucking Speed Racer or whatever. So it's like, it's like, and, and the monkey's name is Sebastian, basically. It escapes, like, through the fucking window or some shit. And then it comes back with basically the, the equivalent of, like, the load suit from, like, Aliens, but, like, it's a mobile suit-sized, like, load suit that, you know, is supposed to just, you know, probably, like, chop down lumber and shit like that. And it's like, basically, it's like, I'm a monkey, and I got a motherfucking mobile suit! You know, like, it's like, so it's kind of awesome. So, I mean, basically that, that, you know, creates all this chaos and everything, and lets everybody escape from the the log cabin and everything like that. And so at that point, then it turns into, like, sort of this this all-out gang pile battle where it's it's like Tobia is in the X3 and then you've got the Death Gal Squadron again with all those EMS suits you know the Abigio the Quavarza and the Tortuga so it's basically you know it's all of them it's the the raspberry chick it's the androgynous boy and it's the guy who feels bad that his son died so they're all kind of gang piling up on Tobia and the X3 and stuff which you know I mean that that's a pretty cool fight too yeah I like the bit where Tobia starts flinging logs at him and like yeah. kind of knocks him off balance, and he's like, you know, how are you? He's like all like upset that this is, the, or he, he's kind of confounded that this attack like is doing anything to him. <laughs> That's a, also an attack that the X3 can do in extreme verses. Where <laughs> oh, the X3, I mean, can he throws like flaming logs at the opponent that like stun you? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Which is pretty uh, hilarious. 
Yeah, I, I know. I don't remember if we talked about this on air or not, but I know we did talk about like what, what kind of like suits stood out and stuff like that. I mean, obviously, like you know, Burns' suit, you know, is that dark, like giant suit that kind of and, and and there's that moment where it is kind of like he seems to be kind of more overconfident, you know, like it's like what are you gonna do to me, boy, you know, and it's kind of like and then of course he. He defeats him, you know, like, and, and of course, you know, he, he defeats the the raspberry chick, too, as well, you know, so it's like, those, those I mean, it, it, it's it, it's not as easy as I make it sound, obviously, there's, there's some shenanigans that have to happen in order for that to get done, but it's like, he ultimately takes down, I mean, it almost seems like, you know, he even takes down the androgynous boy at first, but since he takes him out so early, because it's like, he has that that scorpion tail and he kind of twirls him around and gets him out of the fight early on so it's almost like you know it's not quite as bad as like team rocket blasting off again but it's like kind of a minor team rocket blasting off again so it's like then it gives him time to take on those other two mobile suits and then by the time he defeats them then that's where we conclude volume five you know it's the cliffhanger where it's like haha now i've got the drop on you and my my scorpion tail is grabbing you, and you are doomed, you know, dun, dun, dun. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I did think that the androgynous boy, the, the Aspis kid, like, his suit, I thought, did stand out to me just because it had that sort of, that kind of scorpion stinger tail or whatever. And, it, and since it just plays such a big role in the, the conclusion of this volume, like, that kind of stood out to me. It's funny, like he, 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 Gary or whatever. He's a he's a pretty creepy kid, and like you find out that he's one of Professor Karras's students as well. Yeah, yeah. And he, you see, he's kind of like he's he's got that same kind of skeeviness to him. I bet, like a little bit. Like he kind of like manhandles Bernadette, and like <laughs> there's an awesome moment where like Tobias sees that and he gets so mad he's like tied to a chair. <laughs> he gets up and like yeah. runs and like smashes into him with the chair. Yeah, because that's yeah, that's when they're all tied up in the log cabin and everything. Yeah, yeah, no, I forgot about that. But yeah, th- no, that's that's a pretty cool scene. That's also another like, I'm a man, and Camille's a man's name. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't care if I'm tied up, I'm still gonna like start some shit. And I think that's probably what helps Sebastian the monkey go all like crazy chim chim and jump out the window and stuff like that. Monkeys learn from man. Yeah, how can this be? <laughs> how can this be? Yeah, he is he is kind of skeevy. Like I'm trying to think of like I don't know, he he does seem like a uh, some kind of typical anime archetype character. You know, there's always that like that one pilot part of that special unit that's the one who inevitably like it's supposed to be like he's cool and he's badass and he's the best. You know, you're talking about that academia stuff. And then it's like the minute he sort of ceases to become the the teacher's pet, like the favorite, you know, then all of a sudden he just, you know, it's kind of like, um, what's his face from, even from Maroni Kenshin, you know, like, uh, oh, uh Sojuro, you yeah. know, where it's like, he, he loses his shit at that point. Cause he's like, he, he feels like he's redundant or useless or he's been surpassed. So he, he just feels like he's outmoded. And then all of a sudden it's like, Aah! you know, like that kind of bullshit. It feels like he eventually gets to that point you know, when we wrap up in, in Volume 6 and stuff. I liked the whole scene where Tobia and Cecily kind of have a discussion. Tobia kind of, like, expresses, like, his regret over what happened to Kinkato, and she kind of says, you know, yeah, you know, we've been 
you know, we've, we've had feelings for each other, but like, you know, nothing's ever happened. And like, Tobia kind of has this aside thought. He was like, you know, 10, you guys were like together for 10 years, but you weren't really like together. Like, that's uh, he's like that's too cruel or like that's that's that that sucks. <laughs> like ten ten years without Mookie, how could this be? Yeah, <laughs> but I I thought that was a really nice scene too. And then yeah. and of course since like Toby is the man, he's like you know I bet Kinkato's still alive, you know, because like you know Kinkato's the man and I'm the man. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. telling you that like he's still yeah 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 still yeah. Alive. It's not even like he bets. He's like he he is alive. <laughs> you know, by gum, I can feel it. Because right, he's the so. man and I'm the man and we we have a sense for these things. You know? <laughs> well, it's it's funny because like there there is that like there, there's that sense that in the beginning of the conversation they're kind of commiserating, but by the end of it, it's almost like he he gives her like that that twinkle in her eye where she's like, yeah, I can, you know, it's like Seabook like, is the man, like maybe he is alive, <laughs> you know, like maybe maybe we will get some nookie after all this, you know, like meteor shower. Remnants of the colony drop. Maybe they're the souls of all those that were killed in the drop, drawn back by the Earth's gravity. Wow, what an incredible sight to behold. Mike, you sound like a poet. Don't make fun of what I said. I'm totally serious. This land here is charged with the power of hatred for the Zeon. I can feel it in my bones, too. Power from the dead, is that what you're talking about? You mean the Zeon woke up a sleeping lion, don't you? Except we're dingoes, not lions. Dingoes are dogs. Don't you remember? Lieutenant, let's get started immediately. Yeah, I'll show those Zeeks just how much power I got. Bang three. Enthusiasm's good, but don't let it get in the way of teamwork. Bang one. I'll be waiting for your instructions. So, so for, for volume six... I, I kind of was under the impression, like, I was like, okay, like, they, the, like you just said, they had that conversation, and then, and then it, 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 it kind of opens with, to me, it looked like Seabook was basically, or, or Kinkato was gonna bail out, like, you know, Tobia, because, like, obviously he's, you know, now it's like, uh, that Geary kid has got him, you know, in his clutches and everything like that. And, like, it's almost like, like, if, if you thought he was dead, then you could see it as like this kind of Ben Kenobi, like, you know, use the force, Tobia, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing where it's like, you know, but, but it, it's kind of like basically they, they kind of work together. I mean, it's a little bit, you know, Judao and, and Camille type thing where they, they kind of team up against Geary and stuff like that. And, and that them teaming up together basically is what, you know, basically proves his undoing. This part is, you know, this is where, you know, we talked about it before, but but how the, the character of Geary, like, he he is one of Professor Karras' students, and, and he kind of, you know, goes into detail about how basically he was one of the, you know, top echelon, you know, he was the best and everything, but now that he's been defeated, it's like he's no longer considered the best. So in that sense, like, it's one of these, you know, Harry Carey type things, you know, he's about to basically, like, shoot himself in the head and stuff like that. And I think at this point, you know, Barnes having that loss of his own son, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't know if he sees anything of his son in this crazy kid, <laughs> but just just the fact that, that, you know, he's seen enough 
little kids die. You know, you, you know, he's seeing his own son die is more than he can handle probably in his lifetime. So he he basically you know stops him from from committing suicide at that point and stuff. And then of course we get a nice payoff because like we've been talking about the whole thing between uh, Kinkato and Barrarona or you know Cecily and Seabook. You know, like they 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 are now reuniting and it's like oh my god you're alive. You know, and this is awesome. We can still like you know have Nookie whenever we want, you know, and stuff. So they're all, they're all super happy about that. It's, it's a nice scene. Yeah, it's I, mean, a, it's a, I think it's a touching, it's a touching scene where, where she kind of sees, like, he's got a Darth Vader hand now, you know, he was badly injured or whatever, but he's kind of like, he, this doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, and then, and then he's got, like, a, doesn't he have, like, a Nick Fury eye patch, too? Yeah, it's like kind of like, yeah, across half his face or whatever. Yeah, so, so, I mean, you know, obviously it's, I'm not going to say it's realistic because he probably survived death, but but I mean it's it's a it's a little better than like Hero Yui getting blown up and then they just put like a bandage over his like <laughs> head or something. Kinkato you know? should have been wearing biker shorts when he went through reentry or whatever. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Or he didn't he didn't hit the make explosion smaller button like Kara Yamato. Right, or right. Whatever. Yeah, and then I guess at this point. With the Death Gale Squadron, they're all kind of humbled and defeated and everything, and they they kind of don't see much point now because I guess they can't get off the planet either. So I guess it's it's partly in their own self interest to tell them about this, but they also make it seem like it's this big deal that that Barnes is giving up this critical information. But you know, in my notes, I basically just say, okay, well, you know, Barnes tells them about the weak point on the Death Star, you know, which is basically like the the Jupiter Empire's like space garrison thing that's going to launch all those nukes basically it's like this kind of i don't know it's not it's not really a colony i guess it's it's but it, it it's that kind of deployment like satellite or whatever you want to call it like cuz basically like all those nukes are there so that's what's going to rain down on the earth and you know essentially wipe out all life on the earth so he's he's basically just telling them all right well you know in in their formation and everything, the point that you want to hit is this point, so you can get access to that that caravan. This is something we briefly touched on where Zabine was headed, but like this is the point like in in the series where I'm like, man, like because it's like he's he's you know he's basically just like you know Crux Dogati's little toady at this point. Like I was like, this dude went from potentially being like a cool badass rival who was kind of slick and cool to just being like this this tortured mind controlled little toady like and I was like yeah. wow like it's like just how I mean if if he was if he was you know the royal guard to the aristocracy you're just like wow how how low he has fallen you know it's like he just that that's his arc in this he just kind of I don't know I I it's like it's weird like he, he should by all intents, be, like, sort of a cool guy, even if he's a bad guy, but in this, it's like, you just, you're just like, oh, man, dude, what happened? You know what I, I noticed, like, it, when in that scene where he's kind of kowtowing to, like, Dogati, he's wearing, like, the exact same suit that uh, Professor Karras wears, so I wonder uh, if, you, you wonder if Professor Karras was once, like, you know, uh, I guess a normal like a, a, guy, and a then normal, he was, like, cool tortured guy. into being, yeah, this yeah. crazy asshole or whatever, yeah. but... yeah. 
I didn't even notice that, but yeah, that's that's a good point. When you, when you play DX two and with Zabine and Extreme Versus, like you, like sometimes he'll like talk sort of normally, but like occasionally he'll just burst out into hysterical laughter and stuff. So yeah, that's I guess, probably I guess that's supposed to be indicative of yeah where he his, is his mentally aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of like, man, dude, it's like that, you know. Uh, that Simpsons thing, you know, where it's like, what happened, China? You used to be cool, you know. It's like, <laughs> hey, what happened? still cool. Like, <laughs> it's like, what happened, Zabine? You used to be cool. It's like, Zabine's still cool. Zabine's still cool. <laughs> you know, so that's that's kind of what my takeaway from poor Zabine's ultimate arc at the end of all this. So, do, do you want to tell our listening audience how? how can Kato manage to survive, like, death, basically, in re-entry? Well, basically, he used, like, the beam shield on the crossbone Gundam to, to survive re-entry, but it didn't, it didn't really, like, spare him exactly, but it, it allowed him to survive, at least. And, yeah, I know, uh, they, they were saying how, like, they're like, you can do that? Like, and it's like, well, in theory, we always thought you could do it, but no one's ever... You know, he's like, no he's one's like, ever I'm tested I'm the first it. one who's probably tested it or whatever. That, that's actually, like, survived and stuff, so, yeah. Fucked up his face and he lost an arm, but he survived. But he survived, he's cool. It's weird, he's he's kind of from, from instead of, like, top to bottom, bottom to top, like the opposite of Shiro Amada, sort of. <laughs> yeah. They're, they both kind of get fucked up for, for, all their, for all their thanks to, uh, you know, I guess... Uh, ideals and country or whatever you want to call it you know they, they kind of have to pay their price well they're they're both voiced by the same english dub guys there you go yeah, there like... you go so they got that in common he's preparing a full power blast to wipe all of us out in one shot i'm sorry but now i have to kill him We've both suffered so much, and now we can't let him hurt anyone else. And I guess the the ultimate plan, now that Barnes revealed the weak spot on the quote-unquote Death Star to, to our main cast of characters, what they, they're planning to do is use the beam shields to get all these older rockets up into space, and then they're going to use those against the, the Jupiter attack force. So that's... I mean, I, I guess that's the basic idea is, is that, you know, I think in terms of the Jupiter Empire, they think they've wiped out like all the the useful Federation rockets. But this is like kind of like the, the whole like, how can cavemen like fly, you know, F-15s? It's like, but they can in Scientology land, you know, like that kind of bullshit, I guess. But, you know, in this case, I guess it's just like they're using old crotchety rockets that nobody thought were a threat, but if you add the beam shield technology to them, then they immediately, you know, can actually gain orbit without, you know, and, and actually be a, a problem for, for their plan. Yeah, it actually, it seems to work in their favor, because, like, all the Jupiter guys are like, you know, what the fuck? Like, they're attacking us from below? Like, we did not think of this. Right, right, yeah. I kind of, there's the moment where they're all launching up and everything, and, like, what's funny is, I kind of like how Tobia, he's, like, praying to God when he launches up, but it's not, like, so much to, like, God, if you just, like, help me out, I'll so totally pray to you from now on or whatever. Like, it's more like he's praying to him to be, like, you know what, God? It's, like, dear God, 
let me have the strength to do this myself, like without your help, like, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. thing. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I yeah. kind of like that. That was a good moment. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, ultimately they are our heroes and they successfully break the, the weak point in the, the Jupiter Empire caravan out there in space and everything. You know, Crux Dogati ends up deciding to go out himself. It's like, I will take a ship myself. But, uh, you know, of course, it's like he goes out with all of his quote unquote selves. So it's like, it's kind of fucked up because it's like, there's what, I think there's like, seven of them out there or whatever. Yeah, initially, yeah, seven of them. You know? And so so you've got, uh, I mean, you know, in addition to that, it's like Professor Karras is there in this, like, huge giant mobile armor. So he, he's fighting Tobia. And then this is something I thought was interesting, too, because we, we, we kind of talked a lot about the parallels between Gundam Unicorn, you know, with, with Audrey Byrne and, you know, Bernadette and... You know, the, the, the kind of, you know, oh, the young kid protagonist from school and, you know, all these kind of things, these these rivals and stuff. Like, there, there's lots of similar themes and tropes in this. And then, of course, I thought when when they had that huge, gigantic mobile armor in this, you know, it's like, it, 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 it's like, yeah, like, Crux Dogati has like seven of them, but it's like, they're all pretty gigantic. I mean, I couldn't help but think of that, the, you know, whatever that fucking beast that that one little Japanese lady was carrying the model of from, from Unicorn. Oh, the Neo Zeong. Yeah. Like, I was like, I was like, that's, you know, yeah, I mean, to all, me, I was, I was like, they're massive, all, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and then the one in this, too, I was like, even this, it's like, that. it's it's a huge-ass suit, so I was like, that that kind of trope is pretty similar like I, I know you were saying maybe it wasn't that big in the original novel or whatever but I wonder if they got the idea from reading this too I mean maybe they were fans of the, the crossbone yeah, or something it could be yeah I mean I think I'm trying to think uh, this is you do have to, in extreme verses like I, like this is where I get all my like uh, sort of like I, I probably I probably played the crossbone units in extreme verses before I ever read this manga so like this is where I get sort of my like uh, it actually helps because you you get like you know how you were saying sometimes you it's it's a little difficult for you to follow the action. Right, so, right. But, like, if I played these units in a video game, like, I already know what they can do, so it's like I can follow it easier, and I, I know their scale and all that. So, in Extreme Versus, like, you act, there is a boss battle where you have to fight, like, seven of these things. And I, I'm pretty sure, it, like, a, a couple things might, like, be, like, I don't know, rival it, but it might be the biggest boss in the game, but... Like they're they're all pretty much like in the manga. Like they're they're all pretty much they have low HP. Like you know grunts can take them out. Like and they pretty much do in the manga. Yeah. So so basically, as we're as we're wrapping up, there is of course the the long-awaited uh, Zabine versus Kinkato slash Seabook rematch. And then for me, I thought that it was kind of weird that. Like, because Tobia is having this huge battle with Professor Karras, right? And, like, Tobia, you know, of course, he's our lead protagonist. He's a new type. I mean, to me, he, he pretty much outright ends up owning Professor Karras, right? But then, the, the, I don't know, I, I wanted to ask you about this, because I thought it was just, may, maybe this is 
tying back into what you said before about how Zabine, you know, it's like, what happens, Zabine? You used to be cool. And you're like, well, maybe at one point Professor Karras was cool. Like, maybe this is some of his coolness from long, long ago, like seeping its way back in. But there, there's that weird moment where, you know, one of the, the other, you know, like, because he's got that whole new type, I guess, Core, I don't know what to like, call them, like that that class or or yeah. their you know his students basically the 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 people that he's been sort of indoctrinating and training and everything and it looks like one of them is going to try to shoot Tobia in the back and Professor Karras like stops that from happening so at first I was like well why would it, it, it's weird it seemed out of character for him because he seemed like such a ridiculous bastard the whole the whole time, but it's like, it's almost like he's got a 180 degree turnaround and, and it's like, I am now Annie Skywalker and I will throw <laughs> the emperor over the, you know what I mean? Like where you're like, it just, well, I guess, you know, I was kind of like, like I, like, I think we mentioned it a while ago, but he's, he's got this weird kind of twisted affection for Tobia, even though he's like trying to kill him all the time. So I don't know, I guess it kind of fit in with that, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Even even though he's like yeah, I, I, like he's totally twisted and stuff. It seems like he's still uh, like he kind of says even like you got to be my student again, Tobia. Like you know you're cool. It must it must be one of those. It must be one of those like God damn it. Like I Lex Luthor must kill Superman. You know no one else can kill Superman but me. You know type thing or whatever. <laughs> Only like, I am allowed to defeat yeah. you. Yeah yeah. It's, I guess it seems like that. But sometimes I think it's funny. It's like. You trained the kid, like, you sort of were, well, okay, I don't know. And then, of course, my favorite, Cousin Sherry, has come back with her folks, and they're actually there to assist the Crossbone Vanguard and Federation against the Jupiter Empire. So it's weird, there are all these weird, I I don't want to say rival fusions, but it's like, there's all this, like, constant political realignment based on which way the wind is blowing. You know, it's like, it's like, I guess people are, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm happy to have your support. But at the same time, you're like, wow, you bunch of backstabbing fuck nuts, you know, (laughs) like, cause it's like one minute. It's like, if the Jupiter empire was winning, they would probably come in and help them, you know? And you're just like, come on, man. You know, like what a bunch of ass, you know, I do like, like, I, I think the only one who's genuine about it is like Harrison, like in the F nine one, because, he he's kind of like uh, he's like you know I'll accept you know help from pirates okay but you know he's like you know in return like I can recommend a good lawyer at your trial or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah and like kind of Kinkato kind of like smirks at that so I, I think that was a little more like good natured than you know cousin yeah. Cherry's like cousin you know Cherry. oh you know trusted and honored friends we have come to help you like now that it's obvious <laughs> you are winning you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I felt like, where I was like, you fucking twisty, backstabby people. Tobia's goal in all of this is to find the eighth mobile armor of of Crux Dogati, like basically the real McCoy, and Zabine and, you know, Kinkato are still continuing their rematch and stuff. So what what ends up happening is, like, this is is basically my interpretation of it, where it's like, okay, Kinkato wins, right? He kills Zabine, but, like, he also sort of like Kirk talks him to death, like like in those those episodes where like he he makes robots self destruct and stuff, you know? Because it's like it's like he he's 
Zabine's brainwashed, right? But then he also was previously indoctrinated in the whole idea that the aristocracy is everything and that everything everything he's done he's justified by saying I'm going to put Barona on the throne and she is my aristocracy, right? And so it's like I I just I'm I'm just seeing like Captain Kirk talking to the robot where he's like you believe in nobility and aristocracy overall. But when the noble you believe in doesn't believe in the aristocracy, doesn't that make the aristocracy wrong? You know, and it's just like, and then all of a sudden Zabina's just going to like, Eric, does not compute. (laughs) You know, like, and then it's like, yeah, he literally kills him. But at the same time, it's like he also sort of verbally and and sort of philosophically bests him at the same time where he's kind of like, don't. Don't your, you know, it's like your rationalizations kind of contradict one another, and, and the, the person that you're fighting to put in charge doesn't even believe in what you're doing, so, you know, how can you, how can you possibly, you know, how, it's like if what, you're kind of propagating your own beliefs of right and wrong on someone who doesn't even believe in your sense of right and wrong, you know, so, anyway, I thought it was, I thought it was funny. It's, it's, well... It's a pathetic end in terms of not in terms of like dramatics, but in terms of like just how yeah how he was killed basically for a, like a character who like pretty much went descended into pathetic,ness basically. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You used to be cool, Zabine. You used to be cool. I am nomad. I am perfect. That which is imperfect must be sterilized. You are in error. You did not discover your mistake. You have made two errors. You are flawed and imperfect. And you have not corrected by sterilization. You've made three errors. Error, 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 examine. You are flawed and imperfect. Execute your prime function. I shall analyze error. Analyze error. Tobia, he's fighting with Crooks Dogati. And it's it's the really for reals Crux Dogati at this point, and they both fall to earth, and they're fighting together and everything. And then there's like this kind of flashback to, I I, I don't know if it justifies any of his behavior, but they they do go into his motivation sort of where they they talk about how Bernadette's mother was from the Earth sphere and that the marriage to Crux Dogati was an arranged marriage. And that because of her kindness, like, it's really weird. Like, it's this kind of, you know, he he perceives her kindness as, like, a weakness and, and kind of a rejection of everything he believes in, like... It, it, it's, it's a, I don't know, to me it was kind of twisted, you know, like, obviously they're, they're setting him up as somebody who, who is, like, an evil son of a bitch, but it's, like, it's weird, like, because you, you'd think this is the point where they'd try to sort of show you something from his perspective, and, and maybe try to have you sympathize with, with his original motivations. And it's like, I, I guess I could see, like, if, if you're saying, oh, those mean, nasty Earth people, like, you know, they, they made us fend for ourselves, and we had this big, rough life out here in space and everything. And because I had this rough life, it's like, well, you know, my life was never about kindness. But then they send someone over who's been, you know, uh, 
raised in a different environment so she can afford to be kind. And it's like, then based on that, he's like, I will not have that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like Kaiser, it's like Kaiser Soze, like killing his wife and kid or whatever, you know, like that, that kind of thing. And I don't know. You're, you can only be kind because you've had an easy life basically. Like, uh, you know, you haven't had to fight for what I had to fight for. So I resent that basically. Yeah, yeah, and it's like he's resentful for that, like, either because of his life or because he can't be kind, or, I don't know, I, 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 you know, to me it's like one of those things where I don't like that character, it's like, that's just an excuse, like, you could be kind if you wanted to, yeah. you know what I mean, like, it's like, you're, you're just, just an you're evil just an asshole. Bitch, yeah. yeah, so, like, I, I mean, if, if there was any goal in that to make me sympathize with the character it failed but maybe that wasn't the goal maybe the I, goal I, was like, to make you completely distance yourself from his his well, way of it, thinking it's, it's basically like like tobia remember or kinkato like tells tobia basically like can't you sense like his evil presence like he's so yeah. evil like yeah yeah it's like i'm gonna imagine him with a goatee he's like so Evil. It's like that. He's got a he's got a tiny tiny Hitler mustache in my head, yeah. Kinkato. It's like the yeah. it's like that uh, the Dragon Ball abridged thing where where uh, Goku's like when he fights what's his face uh, Turles in the Tree of Might, and he's like, I'm gonna imagine you with a goatee. And he's like so evil, like <laughs> man, you're so bad. Like so this this kind of results in in a huge gigantic battle in which Tobia basically cuts off all the warheads, and then both of the suits are pretty much decimated in the fight. Like Crux <laughs> I was, was going to... Sorry, I, I was just going to yeah. ask you, did you think that was, like, 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 a little too ridiculous, or were you still like, you know, Toby is the man, he can totally do that. Like, you know, he just cleanly cuts off all the warheads in one swing or whatever. I, I guess I was just chalking it up to, like, even though he doesn't think he's... I mean, he... It, it's that thing of, like, I don't have any special abilities, but yet I'm cutting off warheads and everything's super cool. Like, I... It, 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 yeah, he... I mean, I, I just chalked it up as, like, new type awesomeness, like, where it's like, oh, yeah, nothing's gonna go wrong, because obviously if he, can, if he can plan out the trajectory in space and nobody else could, it's like he can... He can lop off warheads, and it's it's all good in the hood with me. Like yeah. that's that's that 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 was just how I took it. Like, but that's I I mean I guess I guess at, at that point I was kind of like this is one of the you know just one of the uh, ridiculously like awesome things that Tobia can do because he's awesome because he's awesome yeah. yeah well you know I, I I think the idea is if anybody else tried to do that like it would fucking blow up in their faces you know like that's. That, that's that's what I would imagine if if you're if this is the indeed the real robot genre you know the the new type is the 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 way to put a little super into that real robot you know you know basically yeah even though all the suits are destroyed Tobia escapes in a core fighter and then Kinkato slash C book scoops that up and and then of course C book which I did like because it does not adhere to the Comics Code Authority. Like he's basically gonna make sure that that Crux Dogati is dead. Like, and and he's yeah. not gonna fuck around with. You know, it's like I, it's like I I I I think we we always talk about this in Gundam, but it's like I I think I think in people's heart of hearts they know there's people like that. You know that that's why in movies people ultimately die. If you want to feel good about yourself because the person accidentally slips on a banana peel and falls to their death 
and the other guy doesn't have any blood on their hands, okay, that's fine. But, I mean, in some cases, somebody like Seabook actually has to go back and just kind of make sure there's two in the back of the head, and that's so they don't have to deal with this guy no more. Yeah, like, I, I really liked that moment. And, it, like, not only for that, but for, like, where he's, like, Dogati is kind of hallucinating, and he thinks, like, he's one, and he's, like, thinks he's seeing, like, the Earth, like, burn or whatever and like you know see books kind of like you know even if it's a hallucination i'm not gonna let you see that or whatever so yeah yeah it's like <laughs> i'm like it's like the end of for the man who has everything and mongols like dreaming peacefully about you know butchering everybody and then superman just flies up even though he's got the black mercy attached to him and like snaps his neck <laughs> yeah. it's like and no you don't get to you win you, you don't get to see the happy ending <laughs> It's like you hear Batman from that episode, the episode adaptation, where he's like, "Whatever it is, it's too good for him." Are you all right? But there was no explosion. I lied. But you lied. Everything Harry tells you is a lie. Remember that. Everything Harry tells you is a lie. Now listen to this carefully, Norman. I am lying. You say you are lying, but if everything you say is a lie, then you are telling the truth, but you cannot tell the truth because everything you say is a lie, but you lie, you tell the truth, but you cannot, for you lie. Illogical, illogical, please explain. You are human. Only humans can explain their behavior. Please explain. I am not programmed to respond in that area. So yeah, I mean that that's pretty much the the wrap up of the the big climactic battle in volume 6. You know, the final like epilogue type stuff. There is a a very, you know, happy ending where where Kinkato and Barrarona again decide they can be Seabook and Cecily after like this 10-year hiatus of no sex and you know, they can finally get get started on making a family and getting into the nookie and, and, and all that good happy stuff. And then at that point, it's, you know, the, the, the torch is clearly passed on, you know, like, it's like, you know, Seabook basically is like, okay, the crossbone Gundam's all yours, kid. He throws him the keys. And then, it, it, I mean, they, they kind of have this write-up where it's like, well, and nobody quite knew, like, who it was or what happened or whatever, but whoever was piloting that crossbone Gundam... He was the man, you know, so it's like, it's like, that's kind of how it wraps up, you know, so. Whoever that guy was, he was fucking awesome. Like, he the was end. fucking, he was, he was fucking tits. He was the cool. End. The end. Yeah, that, that's kind of how it ends. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed this. I mean, I guess I was, you know, I'm like self-serving, right? I'm like, I'm the one who recommended it and it's good, but I did like it. I was definitely looking forward to discussing this like i i like we had said before the the original plan was this was going to be like the second episode of <laughs> mobile suit mondays but it ends up being like episode like 29 or whatever this is you know so it just worked out that way but i'm I'm happy i got the chance to discuss it with you i mean my my only real criticisms and and this is probably just more a cultural thing is you know what i've been you know hinting at throughout the course of the the podcast is, you know, like like if you don't have that advantage of maybe playing all the video games. I mean, e you know, even in just doing some simple research where I looked up some some different generations games and seeing like visuals of of the protagonists and the characters and everything, you you get a better idea. Like you're like, oh, 
you know, the, the raspberry lady, she's kind of got pink hair. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I don't know, for me, I just get a much better sense of who those characters are when I see them in color, you know, uh, when I can sort of, you know, follow the flow of action sometimes. I mean, some, sometimes in manga, it's like, like you're saying, you know, you have those kind of questions of what, what exactly happened? I'm not 100% sure. And so occasionally there are things like that. I mean, in, in that sense, I mean, that, that's one of those things where you're like, wouldn't it be cool to see this get animated? I mean, I think that would clear up any problems I have with with the manga itself, if, if you could actually sort of have a choreographed fight that you could actually observe, you know, like, because so sometimes I think, I, I don't know, like, it's like sometimes the way action flows, it's like, and, and maybe this isn't a cultural thing necessarily, I mean, maybe it could just be, you know, if there was a different artist or something like that, but, you know, occasionally it's like when you're following some kind of fight, whether it's an American comic or a Japanese comic, Sometimes you feel like there's a lot of pieces missing to it where you, you couldn't follow it sequentially. And I think there are occasionally bits like this in here where it was a little difficult for me to follow. But like, like I said, overall, I mean, I, I enjoyed following the continuing stories of the protagonists. And, you know, if they made this an anime, like, you know, something that wasn't just a fan. Because I, I think, isn't, isn't there like a fan intro of this somewhere that yeah, somebody did? Like, I don't even know who made it, if it was like, you know, a Japanese fan or a, what do you call it, an English fan? Oh, or Like, I had seen it years ago, but like, I, yeah. I could only appreciate it after I like really watched it. You watch, I read, read the manga and I knew who all the characters were. And yeah, if, if you, I, I don't like if you just go on to in, on YouTube and look up like Gundam cross, Crossbone Gundam fan opening, like a, a couple people have it up, but it's not like any the original creator of it, right, right? Like so, I don't know where it originated from, but it's pretty cool. Like yeah, let me yeah. let me ask you because I don't know the 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 art style in this manga has like you know a lot of detractors because it's kind of like cartoony, I guess. Would, okay, okay. Would, would you like to see the art style if 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 they were to animate this? Would you like to see the art style like sort of strictly adhered to, or would you like it like sort of like your avatar where they kind of like I don't know. I like, I, I think I think I'd like it like the avatar where it's done in more a, like defined almost more defined style. Like like even if I I don't think I'd be opposed to it if it was even more realistic than that. You know what I mean? Like if it was. I think, you know, if it was like unicorn level animation where everybody looked, I I would rather have it played mostly straight. I mean, that's, that would be, I mean, I, I don't know if that's like sacrilege where you're like, oh, I don't want it to look like the manga. You know, I, I think that part of the reason why I I have my minor nitpicks about it is maybe due to that style. Maybe possibly, you know. So, so yeah, I, sometimes I, it is I, I hard would, to see yeah, what what's going down or whatever. So, I mean, I would. I mean, that's one of those things that's interesting about that fan intro because the, I think the fan intro, maybe that's why you bring it up, does kind of adhere to that. I mean, there is that aspect to it where it is slightly cartoony, right? So, I mean, yeah. you know, so it's like that's it's accurate, you know. But but I think if if they made something from Bandai, you know, specifically, you know, I, I would think maybe I would like to see it, you know, cleaned up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd i love to see, like, a Crossbone Gundam, like, anime, but I, I don't know. I think the ship has sailed, basically, yeah. like, yeah. at this point, like, I, I, I probably, especially in 
in like the the way things are today. Like even even though I guess like you know even even Japan has like remake and sequelitis nowadays, but yeah, yeah. Well, and then the other thing too is like we've been saying, a lot of those tropes have been borrowed and have come to yeah. pass. You know, it's like it's like if if Gundam Unicorn hadn't come out, you might have still had a window to be like, oh yeah, it would be cool to see a you know an anime of Crossbone Gundam, and it wouldn't feel like old hat. But then you run the risk of you know, those people that are, like, you know, kind of going, you know, oh, what's this new Star Wars movie? I remember a cool trench scene from that movie, Independence Day. You know, and you're kind of like, <laughs> what? You know, like, yeah. the, 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 you run that risk of, of the, the gap of where it's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, if, if all people see is Gundam Unicorn or, you know, like that stupid meme I put up on the Gundam thread where it was like, what, what it was like from that Johnny Depp movie where it's like, what series did you start with? And the little kid's like, seed. And then it's like that clip of Johnny Depp like cradling the, the kid on the park bench. You know? <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, it's like, I'm sorry. You know, and that, that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where you're at at this point, you know, unfortunately with, with that manga. Because I think, I think a lot of those things have have come to pass in, in some form or another. I mean, I, I would think that a character like Crux Dogaty would still be a bit original because I, I can't think of, uh, I mean, you know, I compared it to other things like, you know, the emperor and dark empire from star Wars, you know, the dark horse series, but I can't think of something like that. Someone who's like in, just in, so in, straight in up Gundam. evil and like, well, I, I think, I think there's people that are evil in Gundam, but I mean, in the sense that like, like he had that one, th- th- these kind of like cyborg ish, like life model decoy clone, bio bodies like i i don't know i just it, it, it seemed and and the, the idea that like people are colonizing on jupiter i mean there, there's some aspects to it where you know I, I don't think it totally is you know something that that couldn't be perceived as as original to a yeah. degree by I this point, I, what, I, what i was thinking is like i don't know they they they'd, they'd have to basically you have to see f91 to get a lot out of like you know Cecily and see right. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. And like you know, who who like how are they going to sell that to like a TV right, state right, or right. whatever? You, you had to watch this movie from the eighties before you could get anything out. Before of you this. could get anything out of this series. Yeah, yeah. So. I see what you're saying. I mean, who knows? Maybe they could do something like where they did, where they re-released the Zeta movies, and then you make like three movies, and like the beginning movie is like a remake of like F ninety one, and then the second movie is like. You know, ten years later, Crossbone Gundam, yeah. and the third they movie could, wraps they could, it up. I mean, they could like probably do do like movies, do like some yeah. some new animation with it or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's it's kind of uh, it's it's for years now. I think like it's been on a fan, many a fans like wish list. Wish list, like, yeah, right? Right? Yeah. Like I don't but, know. I just don't know how realistic it is anymore. No. Like, yeah, I I know what you're saying. You know. Yeah, we're all fans. It's fun to speculate and kind of wish about things. But yeah, I I see what you're saying too. The the realistic viewpoint of it is like that that ship is probably, you know, you know, don't hold your hopes, don't get your hopes up. Like, that ship has probably sailed at this point. It's kind of like, it's kind of like people still, like, saying, I want them to do the Judas contract in a direct-to-video release, you know, and you're kind of yeah. like, I think I think that's not going to happen now. You know, yeah. like, you know, it's been, like, what, like, 
10 years or whatever, you know. And if they, they do, if they do, like, make it, like, all of a sudden, all the Teen Titans will have, like, Tron lines on their costumes. <laughs> right, right, it would be totally different, yeah. Let me, let me ask you this, have you ever looked into the sequels to Crossbone Gundam? Because there is, like, you know, a whole yeah, other there's, series. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, the, the sequel series is called Skull Heart, and then there's, like, another follow-up, like, uh, all I really, I've never read them. All I really know is that, like, you know, Cecily and Seabook probably, like, you know, squirt out some kids or something like that. Like, I, I remember yeah. reading something about that. Yeah, it's mostly focused on Tobia and Bernadette after this okay. point. Yeah, so. Okay. But I, I just kind of scanned and saw, yeah, what, what the deal was after that. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know, when we continue doing more of these Mobile Suit Mondays, that's something we can look into and maybe do another episode about some of those. The... Crossbone X2 Robot Damashi is, is, well, there's two versions of it, but the version 2 is, like, really cheap on Amazon, But the and I, oh. I have him, but the reason he's cheap is because he's a kind of lousy toy, so, like, <laughs> like, like he fall, he, first of all, it's, like, a version 2, and the version 1 is now, like, out of print and, like, ridiculously expensive and stuff, and it was the one that came with all the accessories, basically, like a cloak and a gun and knives and yeah. beam sabers and this, and the, the version 2 has, like, better articulation, but all it comes with is that, like, long-range, like, sniper rifle that, like, Zabine was using to frame, like, the crossbone vanguard okay. and okay. stuff, but... And it, the the reason it sucks is because, like, all it, it has a bunch of, like, swap-out parts, like, so you can, you know, swap in the faceplate, like, open or closed, or, and, like, uh, the shoulders, you can, I guess you can swap them out to use with the cloak, which doesn't come with this release, but... I don't, none of those parts stay on. If you, like, sort of shake that, the toy, it fall like, everything falls off him, so. But, like, if if you want, really wanted a cheap one, like, a cheap toy, he's probably one of the cheaper robot Damashis. Do you, do you have the, the version one at all? No. That no? Is it, is it supposed to be better? Like, in terms of, I know you were saying, like, the version two is not as, I don't know. It, it was maybe it was one of the very first robot Damashis, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. It, so it might so that's why you're first. saying like the the articulation yeah, wasn't it, quite it's, as it's great. probably like a Toy Biz Marvel Legend basically okay. equivalent okay. now, but I don't know. And then this version two is like a Hasbro Marvel Legend, but it, it's right. still not that it's kinda like it's a it's it's got great articulation, but it's like a really fidgety toy. Like like yeah. I said, like parts fall off it, and you're kind of like, oh man, like come on. Yeah, but, you're like, can't can't you get that to stay yeah, on? But, yeah. And but, I don't know the like they have the X one and the the X three as well, and the, they're both kind of expensive though, like because I guess they've gone out of print. But okay, okay. If anyone wants the X two and can stomach a lot of parts falling off and it not coming with like any other weapons other than like that big gun and maybe like a beam saber, <laughs> like get get yourself some crazy glue when yeah, you buy exactly. the X two. It's pretty cheap, so cool. Yeah, I, I I don't know a lot about the robot Damashi, so it's good that you're here to tell the listeners if they're into that kind of thing. But it's cool. Like I didn't know that. So they besides the X two, they've got like X one and X three. Do they have any other? Like any of the other suits we talked about, or um, is it just the they, Gundams that were the popular ones? I think ones it's just make? the Gundams. Oh, well, they have F91, and I think they, they released an F91 in Harrison's colors okay. uh, as, a, as okay. like an exclusive, so it's probably pretty expensive or whatever. But but it was probably one of those web, web yeah. exclusives. Yeah, 
and they they released the the main suit of Skullheart, which is the Crossbone Gundam X One full cloth, okay, or, or full cloak, full armor, whatever. It's 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 basically you know how Seabook leaves the X One with Tobia at the end, right? Of well, like he kind of like outfits it with like a cloak over it and like new weapons and stuff. So, and I guess that's his main suit for the sequel. And they have okay. that, but I think it's also pretty expensive at this point. Oh, that's cool. It's cool to know about what, you know, what's available and stuff. All right, cool. So then then that pretty much will will wrap us up for tonight's episode of Mobile Suit Mondays. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our coverage of the Mobile Suit Gundam Crossbone manga. Like we said, maybe we'll pick up again and, and talk about Gundam Skull Heart or some of the other sequels. And then, you know, like we've also been saying, we want to kind of take a break from doing an ongoing series for a little bit. So there'll probably be some kind of one-shot type thing coming up here in the future. And then, you know, who knows, maybe we'll get into Build Fighters Try. I know we've been talking about Gundam G and Reconquista. And then I know there's a new series coming out, too, so who knows. Yeah, but, within, uh, within a couple days, and as we're recording this, it's going to be announced. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I guess it's worth mentioning that I know Right Stuff is, is announced. They're going to be releasing the original Mobile Suit Gundam on Blu-ray. So who knows, maybe that'll be something fun to revisit when that finally gets released and then <laughs> then they have the rights to like all the other series too so you know i still want to get some yeah like i still want to review on mobile suit mondays eventually the like crappy disowned by tamino episode of mobile yeah suit yeah Gun. yeah that'd be fun Remember. too like th- this one i'm wondering i'm like I'm, i wonder if right stuff i wonder if that release will have that or not yeah like like maybe they'll finally give up the ghost on that <laughs> like it's like because i I, you know, well, not to get into it, but I mean, it's, dude, it's not the end of the world to me, you know, like, chill the fuck out, like, it's cool, <laughs> but anyway. It's just, a, it's just a poorly animated Zaku throwing yeah. rocks, so. Yeah, yeah, so, it's, it's cool, dude, it's cool. All right, if you want to get in contact with us, if you want to send us feedback, comments, questions, concerns, if you have any suggestions for any upcoming Mobile Suit Monday coverage, some, some shows or one-shots or things that you'd prefer us to cover, series you'd prefer us to go into continuing on, send us some email at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Podbean. We are on Stitcher Radio, where you can stream our shows. We have a Facebook. We have a Tumblr. We've got Twitter. We have Instagram. And we've got, I think, did I say Tumblr already? I don't know. We've got all that, that cool... Social medias type stuff where you can reach us and get in contact with us. And again, we appreciate all the likes on Facebook, all the tweets and everything, retweets, shares, stuff like that from from all our listeners. So thanks a lot for all that kind of good stuff. And until the next time, this will be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Mike, and legend says that there was a guy, and he was awesome. The end. Right, right. There was this dude, and he drove around in a Mazda RX, and no one knew who who actually drove that Mazda RX. <laughs> man, that guy was awesome. Man, that guy. Legend says that that guy was awesome. That guy was legend man. Says, legend says that guy who drove that Mazda Red RX was, was went on to be so cool. He, he he went up that river and kicked Bison's ass so hard. So hard. Awesome. Alright guys, peace.
Assorted pops going on near my near me. Okay, well, I guess that. I mean, that's kind of where we are, right? So yeah. All right. Seems good. So, yeah. Okay. This will be a nice uh, hefty mobile suit Mondays. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. But it'll probably be easier just to get them all, keep them all in one spot. Yeah. Bugada! And bat appears like he starts flying off. Then you go into, like, detective mode, and you can see him, like, flying if you're in the vicinity of him. So you got to kind of glide over him and drop on top of him, and then Batman kind of, like, wrestles him to the ground and then, like, takes his blood and then lets him go. But, like, where I, re- I hit, I grabbed, I found, I, like, dive-bombed him, and I landed on him. Like, Batman, like, beat him up and, like, crashed him into the ground. And, uh, you know, stuck the needle in him, got the blood. The man-bat, like, freaks out and flies away. Then, like, it goes into a thing where, like, you, you talk to your, like, you talk to Alfred with your, like, hollow gauntlet or whatever he has. And he's like, you know, sir, like, how did you get the man-bat's blood? And, like, you know, that was like, I tackled him and stole it, blah, 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 you know, like, analyze this, Alfred, and whatever. But the funny part was, like, as soon as that was over and it went back to the regular game, like, I... I came out of it, and there are all these, like, drone tanks that are going around. Because it's like the the Scarecrow has hired, like, this private militia to do his bidding or whatever. So there are all these drone tanks, like, going around Gotham. And, of course, they're unmanned drone tanks, so Batman can blow them up without having to feel guilty or whatever. But, like, as soon as that, like, I finished you, I've hired you all nefariously to remote control these tanks from a... (laughs) You know, lofty tower in the middle of some IT facility. They 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 really they really hit you over the head with it too. They're like you know Alfred's like sir like my scanners indicate like those tanks are unmanned yeah so you can use lethal ordnance on the Batmobile or whatever. Batman's like good good. But, <laughs> uh, but in any case like when I came out of that like sort of not cutscene but like sort of like in-game engine like thing you couldn't skip. Like, I was surrounded by those tanks, so I'm like, oh, shit. So I, like, tried to grapple away, but they, like, shot me out of the air, and I died. <laughs> so uh, I like, yeah. So, like, it's like, playing Arkham Knight, that's what I, like, kind of feel like. I'm like, like, it's like, I know Bruce Wayne is, like, a multi-billionaire or whatever, but, man, like, it's like, Wayne Tower has, like, its own, like, bat cave and, like, our Oracle's like apartment has its own bat cave and like like oh, like all these places have their own like bat cave that can like fully equip the Batmobile with like new weapons and stuff and I'm like holy shit dude like <laughs> and I was like how did when did it, like how did no one notice this being built or whatever excuse me I gotta go to the bathroom Batmobile <laughs> charger it's like Master Bruce. You must stop putting Batmobiles in every little Wayne Enterprises restroom. It's totally cool. <laughs> it's like yeah, every every 
thing with the, the name Wayne on it has, like, a bat something in it. Like, it's like the Wayne, like, Foundation Orphanage or whatever. And it's like all these little kids and Batman just walks through. Hey, guys, what's up? Hey, Batman! Yeah, like, I actually, earlier today, I actually, like, I was like, oh, I was going to talk about Crossbone. Like, let me let me pull out that X2 and see if it was as bad as I remembered it. And I was like, like, within a couple minutes, like, pieces were falling off. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Sounds like that, um... That fucking Ant Man ant that I bought for the movie one—it's like those oh, the limbs. Giant ant. Yeah, it's like it's like especially like on the right side. It's like if you like fucking sneeze on that thing, it's like the limbs just fucking fall off. No, oh, that's lame. Yeah, it's like I'm sitting there going, "God damn it, stay on, stay on, fuck it up." 